Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. A census taker once tried to podcast me. I ate his pod with some cast beans and a nice podcasty. Started bad, <laughs> got worse. 40 Fs. That's the Pete Holmes joke. <laughs> you he just was, sounded like you were a snake. Like, <laughs> I mean, are you trying to hypnotize Mowgli right now? I don't now? know how to do it. I just, I was. <laughs> Pretty good. It's the first, it's the top quote. I said, I'm going to do the impression poorly. Let's just get it over with. <laughs> sure. Because it'll happen more over the course of the episode. I was trying to maybe pull off, as we said, the rare move of the Clarice into Hannibal. You look like a rube. The reverse tomahawk. Right. I mean. Dr. Lecter. Dr. Lecter. Dr. Lecter. Is she a lot, doctor? I can say this because it's not trans erasure for me to say this, but it puts the podcast on its skin. Yes. You know, or else it gets the pot again. I I was thinking about that. I feel like that's an even harder voice to do. That's very fun to try and nail, but incredibly specific. Right. It's so, yeah, you can't. Very unusual. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, 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 right. But like, it's sort of like edging into D'Onofrio in Men in Black. Right. 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 Sugar water. (laughs) A pet cat. <laughs> uh, dear friend of mine, a pet cat. Oh, a pet cat. I just remember how he delivers a pet cat in a yeah. Men in Black. Isn't it weird that that performance didn't win all four acting categories all that four. year? Should have won all four. And also best, best director. Best bug. Yeah. There should be a best supporting bug, and then Vincent D'Onofrio would have won that. It is crazy how like that movie comes out, and everyone's like, D'Onofrio's great in it. I mean, it's not a real performance, but he's great in it. And then people like, even say that at the time. I, I feel, feel like, like they're like D'Onofrio gives a fun turn, a committed performance. I, sure. People were like really hung up on how gross he was. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I feel like 20 years later, everyone kind of agrees like, oh, no, that's one of the best pieces of acting in the history of American cinema. <laughs> that is like one of the most committed full body performances ever. And then did you read the there was the uh, the big oral history with yes. Barry Sonnenfeld? Yes. Which is incredible, and he talks so much about the performance. And Rick Baker. Well, Rick Baker is, like, releasing his, by the time this episode comes out, because we're recording this 18 months in advance, but is doing the, like, multi-volume hardcover book of his entire career. And he's doing a panel at New York Comic Con tomorrow, when we're recording this, if you want to timestamp when this is being recorded, um, that is, like, he's doing his big career retrospective, and D'Onofrio is moderating it. That sounds... And I was like, that's very telling to me that, like, Rick Baker is like, that's one of my great collaborations. Uh, As Sonnenfeld, to put this to sleep in that thing, he said, like, he's doing Jack Houston. That's what Jack... Yeah. In Chinatown. That's what Sonnenfeld realized when they filmed the pet cat scene. It's what he said. He literally... I left something here. A a pet cat! A pet cat! Uh, yes, go ahead, I found Frank. out Jay Leno, host of CNBC's Jay Leno's Garage, or whatever the yeah. fuck it's called, yeah, follows no, me on believe- Twitter. Jay Leno follows you on yeah. Twitter? What? He like DM'd me and was like, hey. He DM'd It I must mean- have been like, I think it may have been a person who worked in his office. I and can't like, imagine he runs his yeah, own Yeah, he probably wait, right? like, like, There's no wait, wait. way. Did the message open like, with, meh, here's something. Yeah. That's the first. Hey, man, what do you think about this, Emily? What do you think about this? Calling you Kevin Eubanks for reasons unknown. He was like, "Can I come on 
I think are interesting. My podcast I haven't recorded an episode of in like a what? year. So this was recent. You've got to restart like, the podcast This was right after now. I'd come out because he also yeah. dead named me. And I was like, I'm sorry, we haven't done an episode in a while. By the way, I go by Emily now. And yeah. like whoever runs the Jay Leno Twitter account is like, I'm sorry. I'm like, keep up with my life, Jay Leno. What the fuck? But you are going to restart. I think you're interesting now, you right? I gotta. You have I gotta. So I can have. And then I found out he like did a bunch of podcasts. And I think he was like trying to do guerrilla marketing or whatever for his CNBC show. For Garage? Like, yeah. Because he was now, on for JLG, the, he, he was, was doing Gorilla the, for JLG. He was on one of the Jesse Thorne shows. He yeah. was on some of the other LA-based interview podcasts. He was so. on WTF, and he did a very, very normal, psychologically balanced interview in which he explained that he has never been competitive and only did what anyone else would do in that position. Wait, wait, wait I mean, come on! Uh, job's open. You're not going to hide in a closet and eavesdrop on me. Come on! I did the same thing anyone else would do. Um, he's not competitive. He hasn't tweeted since August 28th. So he's wow. not a big tweeter, I guess. But, Whoever, um, yeah, but I, I, I think I'm you gotta get him on. I'm sure it's not like Jay Leno, like sitting in his bathroom, like, yeah, I'll see what something. Emily's up but, to. But his account <laughs> slid like Giffield into your DMs. Yeah. Well, remember when the Jay Leno show premiered mm-hmm. on NBC? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. about time. And it's was a, it, it was about time. It was about time. And uh, Kanye was, I believe, the first guest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he got Kanye to, like, basically cry mm-hmm. over, like, his mother had Taylor just Swift and his mother had just, right? right? right. Did I make like, you cover week one of that? I made somebody cover week one I am of that. almost certain that you made me cover week one of that. <laughs> and now I have to look it up. Now I have to look it up. <laughs> uh, let's find out. Talk about trauma. <laughs> you, well, either you, either I covered it or you asked and I couldn't do it. I can, now, because now I can't find it. That is a thing. I mean, I, I don't know if you folks uh, watch the deleted scenes because the Criterion DVD now has like 45 minutes of deleted scenes oh, wow. for this movie. And one of them, uh, Hannibal Lecter explains to Clarice Starling uh, that the trauma that Buffalo Bill experienced uh, as a child that turned him into a psychopath was uh, having to recap the Jay Leno show for the AV Club. <laughs> I actually, I was the one who reviewed the first week. Yes. It was me. That, it was you. That feels like the wow. kind of thing you'd just be like, yeah. let me let me put this on my back. That was you know? my first, yeah, well, I mean, you know, I was avoiding a bunch of shit, but like that was my first fall as TV editor there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to review every new show. And I was like, shit, that includes the Jay Leno show. Five so like, a week. I watched the first week of that. And then like, and my, my lead is like, I really thought this could be interesting. I'm like, what? No. Yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, that was, I mean. Everyone, everyone was maybe yeah. had the blinders on there. Well, he right. was selling like, oh, we're going to rethink it because it's not late night anymore. It's going to be prime time. We're going to do more sketches. We're going to do more comedy bits. And it was no just, desk. Yeah, just the Tonight no Show. Desk. Right. Yeah. It was just the Tonight Show, except there was no desk and there was like some cars on stage. Right. right? There was at least two cars on stage. Right. They had more field reporters. Yeah. Right. Like they had like six Ross the interns. There was right. no desk. And he ended it with uh, five big ones. Do you remember that? Course. The final segment was yeah, because that was when oh, yeah. Kimmel uh, yeah. messed with him was yeah, on the five big, big ones, ones. Yeah. and you know they had the field reporters. They broke the Edward Snowden thing, like in the last few months of the show. They broke <laughs> Edward Snowden, and then like yeah, that was their their contribution. NBC mm-hmm. was like, good work, you get the Tonight Show back. That's that's what Citizen Four is about. Yeah, that's why yeah. Jay Leno has the Pulitzer. Yeah, yeah. so uh, Edward, Here's something he's like, Edward, you hear about this? All right. Laura, all right. turn the camera on. Say whistleblower. I hardly know her. All right, all right, all right. Jay Leno. Well, ringing the bell. Wow. Is that the bit bell? It was the bit bell, and it's now closed. Too many bits. Too many bits. The market is closed. Uh, hello, everybody. My name is Griffin Newman. My name is David Sims. Blank check with Griffin and David, of course. That's, that's true. It's a podcast about filmographies. Directors mm-hmm. who have massive success early on in their careers, given a series of blank checks, 
to make whatever crazy passion products they want. Sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce, baby. Sometimes they look like a rube. That's true. They look like a rube. We're doing miniseries on the films of Jonathan Demme. It is called Stop Making Making Podcasts. Rude. And today we are discussing the, the movie. The movie. The movie. The movie. I mean, I was thinking, I was like, this this is one of the best movies we will ever cover on the podcast. We could do this podcast for 20 more years. That is correct. And we will now we will never cover above single digits <laughs> movies greater than this, right? I think this is the most influential movie you've ever covered. Save I think maybe so. the Matrix. Save maybe like it, the Matrix yeah. or Star Wars, but right. it's certainly in terms Fletch of sure Fletch. <laughs> or, <laughs> right. In terms of Things maybe you don't even realize are yeah. influential, yeah. and then when you watch it, you're like, "Oh, of course!" This right. is all of television. Yeah, it is all it's of television. Everything. It's everything. It's I, all of podcasting. It's everything. Yeah, yeah, all true kind of podcasting. Uh, I was I was watching this last night and getting stressed out of being like, "Oh fuck!" I'm like now reckoning with how big an episode this is, how big it is that we're going to cover this movie. It's also a movie that I've seen many times, and for a movie about. Uh, a couple of serial killers who like to eat and or tear the flesh off of people. Uh-huh. It's extremely rewatchable and kind of comforting at times. Every, this whole movie is fascinating. <laughs> you know, like, I'm so, anytime I throw it on, I'm like, oh, this is great. Yeah, God, I can't wait for Clarice to have another very charged and emotional conversation with the psychopath. And I was, I was no, no, like yeah, yeah. worried I wasn't going to like it as much this time. Yes. For, for reasons we'll probably delve into, but also because I've seen it so many times sure. yeah. that I was like, oh, I, this is so too familiar to me. Because the thrillers often you need sure. that element of, of of newness, but like, no, it's, this movie's fucking great. Like, yes. it I, is. I had it seen is this undeniable. movie once before. What? I saw it when I was in high school. Sorry for yelling. Yeah, but but I saw this movie like fifteen years ago. Loved it. Remembered it almost shot for shot. It's very memorable. Movie. It was one of those things very where I was like, I film. have not watched this in fifteen years, and every bit of this is like totally stuck vividly in my brain. Mm. But it also was one of those movies where when I watched it when I was 15, and I watched a probably cable fucking full screen or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, well, I mean, it's going to be diminished because, like, I've grown up in a post-Sounds of the Lambs climate. I had seen it only after uh, Red Dragon and Hannibal and Hannibal Rising had Superior come out. Superior films, all three, of right. course. But like, I was like, this is going to be— They perfected the Hannibal movie. <laughs> this is going to be one of those things where I see the movie and I appreciate it, but obviously it's lost some of its power because it's been parodied so much and you've had diminishing returns in the sequels and whatever. And then I watched it and I was like, this is fucking terrifying. It feels like it was made an hour ago. Right. This is like yeah. searing I mean, and it's stuck in my brain for 15 years and I watched it last night and I was like, why don't I watch this every week? Mm. Aside from the fact that it is blue? heavy, I have the blue. I have the Criterion The blue is blue. fantastic. Retired it's Criterion. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yes, I bought the blue the last time there was a Criterion sale knowing that Demi was coming up. It is a movie that benefits from extremely high quality pictures. Cool. And, and I was sort of like watching after this, uh, I, I not watching, I was going through uh, Blu-ray review sites um, that were comparing every home video version of the movie, and Sounds this like something you would do. The jump in quality on this blue is like the, it looks fucking incredible, and you realize that the previous like MGM releases were kind of crummy. Right. It is staggering that this movie did not get an Oscar nomination for cinematography, despite being one a of huge the most, Oscar success. I know one of the most insane Oscar snubs, considering that like. The Prince of Tides was nominated for Best Cinematography. It, it is, no offense to The Prince right. of Tides. It is a fine movie. But it is movie. stunning when you go, like, this is one of only three movies in history to win, quote-unquote, the big five. Correct. To win picture, director, actor, 
actress, screenplay. Sure. And then it only had two additional nominations beyond that? Yeah. Uh, that sounds right. Let and you, look just, it up. you watch sound. this movie and yeah. you're like, Editing every single element of this film is so perfect and is so like film school in a box for that respect of craft that you're like, how did it not get cinematography? How did it not get score? Incredible score. How did it not win editing? How did it not win sound? But the story of The Silence of the Lambs as an Oscar movie is is like an impo- it will never be replicated. It's bananas. It's, it's very strange. And you I think called that- like two years ago. You thought Get Out was going to have the Silence of the Lambs. I didn't think it was. Did I think it was going to win? Though you thought it was going to win. You well, predicted I mean, that yeah, and you yeah. predicted it on microphone and you were like, I think it's going to be the thing that happened with Silence of the Lambs. Right, 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 right. right. It came close. It came, it came close. close. I mean, it won an it, Oscar right. and it was nominated for stuff. But and it was it did the really same well. thing of like. But also, that was like an unprecedented, incredible year for movies. It turned yeah, out like right. 2017. I will say, right. I think it lost editing to JFK. I yes. might give That's JFK that. Went. That is fair. JFK That's, has famous right. editing. Right. That is fair. Um, and JFK was the assumed best picture juggernaut of that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, I think, the most nominated. Mm-hmm. It was a huge success. Oliver Stone had already directed a best picture and had won two best directors. Correct. And uh, it had come out in Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And you know it was, and it had a zillion famous people in it, and John America's Williams did the movie score. Star, the cause, America's favorite movie star, John F. Kennedy, and um, yeah, you know, I had the cause, and then I think that so that movie was like barreling towards mm-hmm. expected success, mm-hmm. and The Silence of the Lambs came out February, right? It came out on Valentine's Day of that year, almost exactly the same as Get Out, uh, right? And uh, did really well or whatever, but it was like a sleeper film yeah. that was. You know, a trashy genre movie, like to write, like right. on paper, right? Based on like a, a horror selling paperback, the genre they respect the least, hundred percent. Yeah, and so there's all that sort of counting against it. And I think what happened was that JFK kind of got hobbled by the backlash mm-hmm. of like, is this for real? Yeah. Oliver Stone is a crackpot, like all that the zero stuff dark sort of thirty effect started bubbling sure. up. And then also Oliver Stone had like one. Oscars already so Twice. it's not like there's some right yeah and and then I think yeah it just it be, like silence became everyone was just like you know what it's really good it was kind of like once JFK got hobbled this is Emily Vanderwerf by the way oh Hi. yeah I was gonna build to it because I was gonna <laughs> build a bridge to a, a point I wanted yeah, to make yeah but then well, we started talking back, Oscars no 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 no, 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 no. you're in it you're in it Emily Vanderwerf from Vox from the Munich episode <laughs> From the Alice in Wonderland episode, thank you for uh, recovering from uh, Futterwack and exposure. Oh my god! And uh, rallying enough to me because it usually takes people about six to eight months. Yeah, it's like mono post yeah. Futterwack. <laughs> I had to like I went through a thing where I had to watch it once a day, and then it's down to once a week. Right and now, right, I'm right. down to once a month, I think. And you then, can't go and cold then you turkey. just have, you have to, to watch go to methadone. You right, have then to... you have to watch the mouse through the Looking Glass clips. Like you, you can sort to. of start to to, to uh, like you have you know. to fuck with time a little bit. <laughs> but I do think that when uh, the Oscars, when JFK got, got sort of hobbled, mm-hmm. they, they weren't going to go for, I think the other nominees were Bugsy and Prince of Tides. They weren't going to go for those because sure. those no. were like, didn't have the reviews. So it was between Silence of the Lambs and Beauty and the Beast. And Correct. weirdly, Silence of the Lambs is the more Oscar-y movie wow, of those two. What Correct. a fucking five. It's a great That five. is insane. It's a good five. Because Bugsy is fun. Bugsy's kind of yeah. down the middle. Right. Yeah. And you know what? I stand corrected. Uh, it's not a genre, but animation is the only type of film they respect less than horror. 100%. I mean, I, I yeah. believe the concept at the time was that its nomination was its reward. Here is 100%. a breakthrough nomination for an animated film. Right. Uh, two director nominees were non-picture directors. 
Yeah. Even though both those films probably should have been nominated for Best Picture. Can okay. you tell me? So Beauty and the Beast doesn't get a picture nomination. No, and, it doesn't get a director. Str- I'm sorry. Right. Correct. And Streisand doesn't get a director right, which nomination, was which people, is a big deal People made time. a fuss about, correctly. Right. The, the movie direct itself. Okay. So it's Demi. But Stone. the reason Streisand didn't get a Best Director nomination is because of the two people who came in. So the year is 1991. <laughs> 1991. Uh, the year is 1991. Yeah. Two people come in. One is the youngest Best Director nominee. John Singleton. A phenomenon. Right. And the first African-American nominee in Best Director. Correct. The other is a director. I think he was 24. That's, God. The other, R.I.P. John Singleton. Yeah. The other is a guy who is a very established director who's a big deal, who made a gigantic hit that was a cultural phenomenon, and I can't believe it wasn't nominated for Best Picture. But he did get the Best Director nomination. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And sure. and has he had other director nominations or wins, or is this like his one? Plenty of nominations. He's never won. Plenty of nominations. Oh, fuck. Uh, Thelma and Louise? Ridley oh. Scott. Like, the, Thelma yeah. and Louise wasn't nominated is bizarre. Very weird. Very they, weird. They, like, they had to get the Prince of Tides in there? Like, Thelma yeah. and Louise was like a sensation. Two lead actress noms, which yeah. is insane. Right. A, a thing that is so difficult to pull off, two actors in one shared lead category. Yeah. So daring that people fuck with yeah, category like, placements. Ah, to Gina avoid Davis that. is really supporting. Right, right, right. Well, like Prince of Tides and and Bugsy and JFK to some extent were the movies everyone was like they're going to be the big Oscar players. That sure. thing that happens where it's like months in advance. Right, right. And then they kind of slid in and like Silence of the Lambs was the movie people actually loved. It was yeah. the movie yeah. I think at the end of the day everyone was like, you know what? Right, I yeah. remember that movie. It was a year ago now, and I still remember it. But it also, it is that thing where, like, you know, we'll get into all the nitty-gritty of the movie and we'll talk about the controversies and all of that. Mm. But just taken as a piece of narrative, visual storytelling, it is pretty unimpeachable. It is dark and profound and full of really interesting themes, some of which are from the book, some of which are original to the movie. But it's also, like, great popcorn filmmaking. Exactly. So watchable. It's It's so thoroughly watchable. I'm just going to restate, you can take any single element from this film and use it as a teaching tool of like, this is how you do this. This is screen acting. This is screenwriting. This is cinematography. This is editing. This is sound mixing. You know? This is set design. All of it. it just, yeah. Yeah. The cost, like everything is just like, I mean, and I forgot just fucking how stacked is where it's like, right, like Demi like discovers like Colleen Atwood, you know? Sure. Pretty oh, much. Right. Like makes yeah. her. Casey Lemons is in it. Right. Right. Yeah. Right, uh, uh, Christy Zia is the production designer. Yeah. Like everyone on this is just like people who are like just fully coming into their power. That thing that is so exciting to watch, where like everyone involved in this movie is just figuring out how to do the first perfect job of their career. Mm-hmm. It's pretty like it. It does just feel like that lightning in a bottle thing. Sure. And the way that we've been like going through Demi in order like this, it is so exciting to watch. Like, oh, he's just built it all up. Sure, and use look. This movie could have been directed by Ridley Scott yeah. or someone, and it would be a different movie. It'd probably be more of a hard boiled movie, yeah. and it would not have that like empathy and yeah. attention to character. The Demi, like De- this is like Demi's got all these tools that I feel like a director, another director, would not have been able to use. Well, for Ridley this movie. Scott made his Hannibal movie. <laughs> oh, uh, I have I have this like I'd love to hear you in on this Griffin. I have this sort of pet theory that people who are really good at comedy are usually really good at horror. I agree a hundred percent. And vice versa. Yes. Right. I agree a hundred percent. Jordan I, Peele. Yes, Jordan Peele. But I also think it is uh one of the reasons why um by and large 
many of the best uh, superhero movies have come from horror directors. Mm -hmm. I, I think it is that very specific sort of tonal balancing act, you know? You like Shazam! Shazam, uh, the Raimi Spider-Man films. Sure. Uh, uh, James Wan has acquitted himself well in he superhero films. He made Aquaman. Films. Yes. About the um, man of Aqua. Yes. Yes. But I think, you know, superhero films are this very tricky balancing act mm -hmm. of, of tone and control and, you know, a mix of humor and tension action, all of that. Sure. But that's, yes, the comedy and horror are the two genres where the director needs to have complete control of the dial. Yeah. And know how to sort of turn it on the audience because you're asking the audience to have a very specific emotional involuntary reaction on a scene by scene basis. So it's about that build and release and that sort of like, God, the fucking camera work in this movie. I mean, not just like Ben and I were talking about the it. photography yeah. itself, but you just go like this is just mute this film. Right. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you could just teach an entire semester at a film school that is this film muted every week. You just watch it. And it's like. His camera is Those so medium shots, yeah. but yeah. also all the camera movements are so expressive totally. without being overly showy. The look of the film. I mean, I feel like this is the fundamental mistake that Ridley Scott made where he's like, oh, we should make it look terrifying because yes. Hannibal Lecter is terrifying. Right. And the thing that's incredible about this movie is it looks kind of banal. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's very crisp, it's about clean real people. Cinematography, right. but yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. very stylized. It's I'm, not picturesque. Yes, a hundred percent. I do think the problem with Hannibal is one that book is so gothic. It's and, terrible. Yeah. Piece of garbage. Yes. Sure. Right. Like purple. Right. Yeah. And Demi famously, of course, reads that book and is like, "Oh, is I'm gross. not into this." Right. right. So and Jodie Foster says the same. Yes. And Anthony Hopkins is like, "So twenty five million dollars, <laughs> and it's in the bank account already." Right. Cool, gotcha. Uh, so the book is sort and of already AR. nudging yeah. things in that direction. But yeah, and also the book has the problem of like Hannibal is very effective when he's in prison. Yes. And is a little less effective when he it's just like is roaming like, the Italian what countryside. What if I ate another person? <laughs> right. What if I uh, wore a fedora? Obviously the TV show eventually yeah. figured out how to, but that's that's a caged Hannibal in a way too because he's like trying to operate. Yeah, as a, like, yeah. like that's know. that show when they finally had him uh, in season three when he was finally on the loose and everyone knew his secret and all of that. Like, yes. That was that the least section, interesting scene. That section of the show is when it's at its least interesting. Yeah, and it's also when they were like, I don't know, every shot should look like a kaleidoscope. Like when they start being like, well, let's make the show just look so crazy that yeah. that'll sort of, you know, sustain the mood. Do you know what's the thing where I feel like I've never acknowledged on the podcast that I feel like better You're like a psychiatrist never. who eats people? Well, yes, that of course is true. <laughs> and uh, for that reason, this movie is... Should I, should I keep that in? I keep it in trouble. Yeah, okay. Representation matters. Exactly. Thank you. You get it. Cannibal psychiatrist. Uh, go on. So what's the thing um, Emily. This was the bridge I was going to make in order to introduce you, but it okay. took me 30 minutes to no, talk about it. No, the bridge. Um, but, but I was... Uh, uh, last night while watching the movie, uh, uh, curious to see, because, uh, you know, as you said, uh, uh, since the last time you were on this podcast, yeah. you have come out in transitions. Yes. And you very early on said to us, you would like to talk about this movie because, you know, that is the sort of messy part of this film's legacy yeah. is its relationship to the trans community. Yeah. So I was curious going into it to see if you had tweeted about this film uh, prior to your coming out. Because you have written oh. so well in the last year about um, sort of the years of you living sort of in denial with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Suppressing the voice inside mm -hmm. of you. The part of you that knew to some degree always who you were. Sure. And that in the last year it's sort of been, you know, letting yourself actually be the person. Yeah, it's just, just that you've always spewing been. everything all over the place. Right. Yeah. Right. 
Um, and and your your writing on the subject has been incredible. Thank you. Um, but I was interested to try to find uh, you know if you had public statements about this film on Twitter uh, before you mm-hmm. know this year. Um, and a lot of them are the things like I can't believe this didn't get a cinematography nomination. Fair point. Um, when when Demi passed, yeah. you sort of tweeting about him. Sure. He's one of my favorite filmmakers. Right. So that's what I was finding. More and more, just you talk about him being one of your favorite filmmakers. But also, I'd forgotten that you were one of the loudest drum bangers during March Madness. Hell yeah! You were a huge fucking. Like, were you champion. always on the Demi train? Or I was were always on the Demi train. I was like, he's never gonna win, and then he kept going. Do going, do the search, going. David, because there are literally like eighty tweets. There are four separate threads that are Emily just like hardcore campaigning, making the argument, watching it like vote by vote, saying like, I know he's not gonna make it past this. I round. like this one though. I think Don Jonathan Demi should direct the halftime show next year. That's a good tweet. <laughs> That's a great one. I was just thinking about, you know how they kept trying to make that Gambit movie for years and years and uh-huh. years? Jonathan Demme would have directed <sighs> the hell out of a Gambit movie. Oh, shit. Would have had a lot of, like, Louisiana <laughs> color. You know what I mean? A lot of local yeah. Cajun kind of, like. Right. Yeah. It would have been, like, his last film. Wouldn't it would have been, been his last film. If you guys went from Ricky and the Flash to Gambit. Right, and then he passed. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. If Gambit had met its original release date and they had hired Jonathan Demme, it would, would have been his last film. He would have gotten it made under the, the wire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I am curious, I mean, you know, uh, you saying you were a little bit worried going into your mm-hmm. viewing of this movie, how you were going to view it, uh, uh, through a new lens. Um, how did it sort of change for you or did it not as much as you feared or thought it might? I, I will admit that some of the, some of the, it's not even like trans representation because it's, it's a different idea of what gender transition could mean. Yeah. And the movie makes that very clear, which I had forgotten. Yeah, no, yes. the movie has dialogue yeah. mostly from um, Dr. Hannibal Lecter, who has a PhD in psychiatry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a PhD in eating people. Right. I forgot that the <laughs> film... He got that from an underground university. The film has the most intelligent character, even if he is a... Pure psychopath. Cannibal psychopath, <laughs> sure, right? right? Clearly Whatever that means. say he is not Pure a transsexual. Yeah. Right, yes. Yeah. Right. That it's more like he... He he thinks that's what's going on with him, but it's it's more uh, he's uh, crazy and wants to. Uh, it's, it's a sort of misplacement of trauma, so right? He, right. He wants to sort of be out of his own skin. But at the same time, and I'm going to have more to say about this, I'm sure, throughout the episode. Sure. But like at the same time, it flirts with all this iconography mm-hmm. of yes. trans people of transition in ways that like made me uncomfortable. But here's where I think this succeeds in the way that a lot of other trans murderers. Mm-hmm. This is a trope. You're sure. Right? have not succeeded, which is Jonathan Demme is such a humane director. Yeah, right. He gives Buffalo Bill his humanity. It's mm-hmm. a diseased mm-hmm. and horrible humanity, but mm-hmm. he is a person. He is not um, a twisted He's freak. He's not a boogeyman. It's actually right. kind which of, I think, the thing do. that got the movie in trouble in a way is yes. that he has those segments that are just Buffalo Bill. Yeah. yeah. And those are the segments that I feel like people obviously glommed onto the right. most. And if he had just kind of like, you know, excised that. Yeah. And whatever, Bill's just not really a character except something that someone talk people talk about. Then maybe the movie would be worse, sure. I think, but also regarded differently. I don't know. Well, I don't want to be flippant about it, but th- the thing that was striking me watching it, especially because I had forgotten that they outline a language so clearly mm-hmm. and sort of consistently trying to define like this is not transsexual. We're not saying. I mean, there's even that line where. She says, like, transsexuals are, are docile. They're passive. Friendly. They're passive. 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 Yeah, yeah. She... You know, but, like, they very clearly say, like, that does not passive, fit passive. a behavioral pattern. Sure. Yeah. Um, so the movie 
goes to lengths to try to make that distinction clear. But the thing that is sort of out of the movie's control is the fact that it became such a phenomenon. That's the yeah. thing. Right. I mean, it's sort of right. I mean, so, it's like, I don't think the movie would have had that amount of blowback had it been like a $40 million sort of like, you know, on the level of like Manhunter in terms of like critical recognition. But the fact that it became like this big blockbuster phenomenon and then a Best Picture winner means that like, well, now you have like a lot of dumb people watching. Sure, the there's a different responsibility to that. Right, yeah. right. I mean, it's like the whole thing that like comes into play with like the the uh, destroying culture once and for all yeah. is that like you're in a very different position if you're making a movie for sixty million dollars that you know is going to be released like a blockbuster. Sure. Versus a movie like this, where clearly no one involved thought that this was going to be some like. Like no. four quadrants. I mean, to the point like, that De Laurentiis, who owned the rights, was like, "Fuck you," and had made it. Manhunter. Was yeah. like, "Yeah, I don't care." Yeah, he's like, make "Let me movie. let me give you some right. advice. Don't make Hannibal Lecter movies." Right, right. There's and no then money this was a there. hit, and De Laurentiis was like, "I've always owned all the Hannibal <laughs> rights, and they're mine." Yeah. <laughs> and we want to be clear: we're recording this before <laughs> comes out. It's right. coming out long after <laughs> Nation has taken form. That's the thing. We right. are, yeah, right. we this are recording is the day this. of. Like Thursday night previews or whatever. Right. right. The last also, day before New York City burns to the ground. It's also like around the impeachment and the fact that Trump is like tweeting about how like militias are going to rise up. Yeah. And it's just like it's truly a terrifying right. And also time. militias are being installed at theaters playing. <laughs> I also feel like every other president you'll hear that they like, you know, asked, requested a film print, want to watch movies. Sure. Trump right. seems so disinterested in everything. I don't think he's watched a single like. Film. Well, he famously like has a short attention span, and right. like his favorite movie is Bloodsport with the dialogue cut out or whatever. Right? There was that weird anecdote that it was like it's Bloodsport, but Eric fast forwards through the non-fighting well, speed. No, his favorite scenes. his favorite movie is Citizen Kane because it's about a very very wealthy man who marries <laughs> beautiful women right. and succeeds had a great wildly. life and right lived. You've a long seen life. that interview where he yeah. says that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, he's just like it's incredible that the things that guy accomplished. <laughs> I wrote about I wrote about it for Vox. In the summer of 2015, yeah. when he was still like a curiosity. Yeah. And I was like, oh, look at this. Isn't this weird? And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, right. there's a right. thing right. here he that a works. fully unironic person. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, this sort of gets into the Silence of the Lambs thing, where it's like someone that dumb can watch Citizen Kane and go like, this is an aspirational story of the American dream of right. a man ascending to power, success, and love and adoration. When it's very clear that the film presents him as a villain and is about how he died feeling totally empty inside. Right. And so in the same way, Sans the Lambs comes out and it doesn't matter if you have characters go like, this character is not trans. Trans people do not behave this way. This is not a pattern. Sure. Because it's still like the dumbest people will view it how they want to. Mm-hmm. And then as you said, so much of it is that the iconography of this character gets reappropriated into other things. Yeah. Like you think about how many homophobic 90s studio comedies make Buffalo Bill jokes to some extent or another. It's also just wild that this film, which has Clarice Starling, incredibly iconic character, mm-hmm. Hannibal Lecter, incredibly yeah. also has Buffalo Bill, like three, who becomes an incredibly right. iconic character, yeah, in his own right. Right, three characters that, like, you can dress up like them. Sure. You can, like, they have put a down, voice you that put, you can do. All of it. Right. All of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it is so bizarre. Um, well, so here's a question for you. Okay. When you uh, saw this movie... Uh, when it came out, when you saw this movie in the years since, as you rewatched it, how did those elements play to you in a point in your life where you were sort of uh, fighting your own transness? Interesting. I so the first time I saw this was probably high school, mm-hmm. and the controversy around this movie had filtered down to me as like 
gay people are mad at it. Yes, sure. it became like, more of just a general LGBT yeah. uh, community. So, so you saw it right. knowing there was. I know, an like argument. I knew because sure. I I knew. I think the first Demi movie I ever saw was Philadelphia. Okay, sure. and I knew that he had made that. Okay, because people he was like, I want to make a movie that has positive gay right. representation. Right. So you saw it post Philadelphia. Yeah, I yeah. saw it probably ninety six, ninety seven. Okay. With, with a girlfriend or whatever, and like, um, I, that was at a time when I was like not aware of these things within myself. But mm-hmm. I was also like, anytime I read a thing where like somebody magically transformed into a woman, I was like, let's look. See, how does that work? Sure, sure, right. Do you sure, have like a sure. how-to somewhere? Sure. Um, so I watched this and like, but I just, I think I really just thought of him as a gay man. I yeah. really do. Because mm-hmm. those two things got conflated. Because I remember in high school, I spent a lot of time being like, I think I'm gay. I think I'm gay. Uh-huh. Mm. But I was like, but I just men, I don't think they're very attractive. And that sure. seems like a prerequisite. Fair opinion. Right. <laughs> Right, you knew there hot was hot David. Right, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, um, twenty nineteen. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if the you hot can't... David train is like stalled. I gotta get some coal and put it back <laughs> in. Or something. Yeah, but yeah. So I was like, I I didn't understand what it meant to be gay, and like there was this idea that like gayness and transness were kind of the same thing. It's right, just sure. like a general and otherness, and yeah, right. Yeah, so like the fact that I was primarily attracted to women was just like a thing that got in the way of me figuring a lot of this out. So I think I. When I first saw it, I really didn't know it. And I mm-hmm. rewatched it maybe four or five years ago and I was like, oh, yeah, okay. But I also was like less offended by it than I thought I was going to be. Every time yeah. I watch it, I'm yeah. like, right. they, this guy is not the worst example of this trope. This guy's one of the better examples of this trope. And like, because Demi is such an empathetic filmmaker, like you yeah. said, you know, trans that really people is can part be of it. Murderers, like we can be murderers if we want to. We can <laughs> yeah. put do that knife away. You don't have to <laughs> prove <laughs> anything. Emily, I can take out a, a box of moths. Um, uh, no, but it, but it is. I mean, you know, I, I think that comes into play obviously with the Buffalo Bill character. Yeah. He could not control the way the movie sort of got taken away from him and you know, given to the culture at large in the way we're like, yeah, I, I think a lot of the negative impressions, I think about how many fucking like Buffalo Bill impressions are yeah, like problematic, you know, I or will. like scenes where people do the talk or whatever it is yeah. like the elements from this have been stripped and sort of repurposed in a way that does feel negative. Like the really bad version of this is the Danish girl, literally. Right, like right, that is right, a movie right. that reappropriates sure. a lot of this imagery yes. in a way it thinks is supportive and is horribly, horribly transphobic. Right. I, I like, could not stop thinking about the Danish girl while watching this <laughs> really? movie. Really? Interesting. For, for movie, I have not thought about the Danish girl again because I took a serious psychological action to bar it from my memory. Sure. genuinely right. like recloseted me. <laughs> like I saw it, like, I saw it right around when yeah. it came out and yeah. I was like, I was, I was at Vox so I was finally like, I had a little security and I was like, I yeah. could start thinking about this gender stuff. Mm-hmm. And I saw the Danish girl. I was like, no, no. <laughs> was it just because you're just like, well, no, it's not this. Whatever yeah, this is, it was is not so what I'm after. Unrepresentative. Yeah. 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 It's such a terrible movie on no, I mean, most that's, levels. That's why I was thinking because that's like the most like sort of consciously Oscar Beatty sort of movie and a movie that is going to such great pains to tell itself that it's being empathetic mm-hmm. and, and humanist mm. and sort of thoughtful and caring about it. And is a movie that just seems to have no insight into its characters, no understanding, feels genuinely very exploitative and yeah. very unrepresentative. Everything I've heard from any trans person I've ever spoken to or read work from or anything. Right. Uh, and also his performance is terrible. It is his really, performance is so fucking bad. It is really his performance hard. Is very bad. It is really hard to be cis and understand what it is. 
to be trans. It's yes. just like a, a gap. And I wrote a lot. I wrote about I the just trans read finale. It. Yes. I wrote about a lot about Jeffrey Tambor mm-hmm. and how I think he got close yeah. for what a monster person he is. I think he got close, but he sure. still was like there was an element of – I am copying a thing sure, I've right, seen right, other people right. do, which is acting. Which is acting, sure, or an element is, of acting. The problem is that acting is so close to what society thinks trans people are doing. Yes. That then it mm. becomes like, oh, you're just, you know, you're Jared Leto in Dallas Buyers Club. Another right. Another terrible, terrible right. Yeah. performance. I was like, here's the thing I was thinking of. Uh, when, when I like uh, first dropped out of college and was auditioning for stuff, mm. I had Law & Order SVU audition that was to play a trans girl where uh-huh. they were only seeing, you know, cis men sure. to play the role. And there was like 15 sentences in the email devoted to like, we want to be clear. The character is not gay. It is not a cross-dresser. Okay. <laughs> like they were like, people are like reading the sides and not getting it. Uh-huh. Because the concept was sort of like... In the media up until that point, so often just as you said presented as oh this is someone playing a woman mm. you know mm-hmm. yeah Th- that there wasn't really empathetic no sort of well-rounded trans characters in media and that people i guess were coming in for the audition and going like oh it's like a drag queen right yeah right, like that's right, what it right, is right right, right. Yeah. even when you see like felicity huffman in trans america who's okay okay there's Never still like movie. a real focus on like oh she's got a penis like yeah. it's you know it's sure it's a fetishistic gawkery thing that Demi just because of the nature of the kind of filmmaker he is I don't think he had special insight into transgender people or gay people or anything I think that he just like understood that Buffalo Bill was in pain Mm -hmm. Buffalo Bill wanted something other than what he was Buffalo Bill could not transcend himself and like he depicted that and he got I don't want to say he got close to depicting their trans experience because he didn't but he got like he got an element of it in a really weird and twisted way. I think, yeah, I think, uh, you know, as you're saying, the baseline empathy from which he always operates gives mm-hmm. him a major leg up, you know? And that's something you can't really, like, develop in the way you can develop your skills as a visual filmmaker. He was born with, you know, by all accounts, a a greater sort of pool, a greater depth of emotional sort of yeah. understanding than most people. Um, so that's, you know, really his special sauce as a director is that he comes into it with that strength as a person. But I think the other element is when you read interviews with Demi, as I've been reading more and more stuff for this podcast mm-hmm. and watching interviews with him and stuff. I want to listen to the commentary. I forgot to. I was going to try and, and pull that out. And it's him. It's him and Foster Tally and, and Foster and the FBI guy. And uh, Hopkins. It's like and five of them. Yeah. Um, but uh, he is for, you know, the people who are viewed as like major kind of like auteurist filmmakers, certainly the people who have won the Oscar, most of the people we've covered on this podcast, he might have the least ego of all of them yeah. or had. Right, right, right. And he talks so openly about like I hire people who know what they're doing better than I do. I give them a lot of free reign. You know, if I hire a cinematographer, it's because I know I'm not a cinematographer I'm not trying to impose my thoughts on them. I'm collaborative, but, like, if someone's doing something good, I want them to take all the credit for it. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, by an extension of that, he is very good or was very good at knowing what he didn't know and understanding what he could not inherently understand so that he could hand those elements over to other people Mm -hmm. and not just try to sort of, um, uh, you know, impress his perception of things over the entire film. One of the complaints against Demi in the March Madness, uh, in the in the Reddit, and yeah. I think, 
I think Alex Ross Perry made this argument is that sure. he doesn't have a big footprint. I'm right. gonna right. 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 yes, yeah. and and I um I think that he doesn't have a signature like shot. He doesn't have a signature shooting style. I would he say he has a signature shot. The close ups. I, I think the but the but Karen, person, I think sorry, he sorry. has a signature. I think the close ups feed into his signature approach, uh-huh. which uh-huh. is all of his movies are about the transactional nature of human relationships, and mm-hmm. every, he understands that every scene is between two people. And it's about who's giving and mm-hmm. who's taking sure. and who's getting and who's, you know. I mean, this is his masterpiece yeah, in that, that regard. And like that, like he realizes this is a horror movie, but it's a horror movie about the banality of like horror and right. like how it's right. just horror is always just two people and one is stabbing somebody. You know? sure, if sure, I can sure. quote you to okay. you and read a couple of your tweets from Great. earlier this year when you were uh, banging the demi drum, uh, and this was directly in response to this, right? Mm. Uh, I mean, you were pointing out like, you know, People saying he doesn't fit in as a blank check director. He feels so terribly about the LGBT pushback to Tons of Lambs. He convinces a studio to fund the first major studio film about the AIDS crisis, and it wins Tom Hanks an Oscar, and it's a hit. Right. Philadelphia Imperfect, but it's a blank check that clears. Airtight argument there, right? <laughs> yes. But then, as you sort of said here, what is Demi's signature? What makes him interesting? Demi is one of the most radically humane and empathetic directors who have ever lived. He loves humans and the shit we do in all our strength and all our weaknesses. Demi is a director who... Whenever, whatever he tried, he could do it. Music videos, documentaries, features, TV pilots, live TV. He just thought people were fascinating and made great art accordingly. It is very appropriate PTA, the DNA splice of Demi and Altman loves him so. Now, I, I think that's a really other strong point when people talk about, like, why doesn't he have a signature style, which I disagree with a little bit. Uh, not disagreeing with mm-hmm. you, but the people who say that. It's not It's not a Scorsese style. Right. You know, it's not showy. Well, I, like, I yeah. think that's the big point is that it's not that he was a chameleon who adapted to whatever he was doing, but he tried to engage with the material first as a human mm-hmm. and then figured out the style that best benefited the story being told in the most sort of uh, emotionally intelligent way possible. Right. So you look at Sans the Lambs, which is very stylish in a lot of ways, but also compared to most crime thrillers, most yeah. movies of this ilk feels so stripped down and almost neorealist. Yes. When in fact there is a lot of crazy heightened elements in terms of the actual filmmaking of what he's doing. Yeah. But it's like, you know, he, he, That's me eating he never has a, a camera movement that isn't entirely motivated. I love his camera movements, though. You know, yeah, and it's so like good. he's just like this really fucking elegant magician where it's like, I'm just going to bring your eyes right over to the thing that you mm-hmm. need to pay attention to right at this moment. His camera movements in this movie are always, I don't want to look at this thing, but I have to look right. at sure, this thing. Sure, it sure, hangs sure. back and then it goes. And you yes. even feel the tension in the sort of, I mean, it's a lot of handheld movements, mm-hmm. you know, and they're fairly smooth, but you can feel the actual physical mm-hmm. presence of a person reluctantly to, like, lurching near this towards thing. or right. swinging around to. I mean, this also has like one of the most iconic, like five of the most iconic, the shot of her in the elevator, that opening, you yeah. know, very op- right at the opening, right. uh, surrounded by the boys and she's very She's a short person, Jodie Foster. Very low. Uh, the like, you know, the shot of any shot of like Hannibal leaning in. Ugh, yeah. When you see him in the like reflected in the glass and everything yeah. like. Ugh. But but that's like another thing that's kind of stunning about this movie that I was like, am I going to like roll my eyes a little bit watching it now? Which is it has now become such a big thing for, uh, you know, straight white male directors to make movies about the way that women are impressed, oppressed within society. Sure. To be sure, like, sure. look, I get it. And very often, even if their intentions are correct, it's like they put their foot on the gas way too hard. Yeah. You know? And this is a movie where, like, every single scene is affected by the fact that she's a woman 
but it's almost always affected in terms of body language or in terms of blocking. It is very rarely directly stated in the text of the script. This mm-hmm. whole movie, its theme is, again, transactional relationships yeah. but between men and women, and it never says anything about it. Yeah. It's just like this is a movie about what it is to be a woman. Right. Right. In this world. Right. Which I love in her relationship with the Scott Glenn character. Yeah. Right. Which in the book is sexual. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the book, they have more of like an affair. Uh-huh. And he takes that out of the movie. Or yeah. I don't know if him or Ted Talley decided to do that, but like that's not in this movie. Mm-hmm. But like, no, they neither of them ever acknowledge where he, I mean, there's that one scene where he kind of acknowledges like, yes, I'm using you to excite Lecter because I know you will. And yeah. like most of my guys, he would just shut down. He says that, that, that yes. you're, you're pretty in a way where he will at least give you the time of but day. But she never like has a speech where she's like, you used me, which no. like, you know, like so many movies would have that moment where mm-hmm. she sort of like wags her finger in his face no. and he's the, like, the, what are you going to do? The only yeah. other moment that makes it explicit is the moment when they're in the car driving back after they do the autopsy Mm -hmm. and Scott Glenn's like taking a nap and then he wakes up and is like I really upset you back there when I said the thing about us not discussing in front of women right and she was like yeah and he's like you understand I just had to throw these guys off my scent and she was like it matters what you say he's he's great I mean she's amazing yeah but but like what a perfect scene and what a great encapsulation of Demi which is like it matters what you say like in a in an era where uh you know People get so defensive when their work is criticized. Demi took the sort of um, the uh, complaints about Sansa the Lambs and was like, I'm going to make an entire movie to try to positively counter uh, the effects his, of what this might have done in terms of uh, LGBT perception. His conclusion from this was he wasn't ashamed of Buffalo Bill. He didn't think of Buffalo Bill as like an, a gay, trans, right. bisexual, whatever. But he was like, I didn't realize how many, how few positive representations right. of gay sure. people there are. And right. he's like, I'm going to make one. Right. Like, what a dude. What right. a guy. <laughs> right. Um, right. I, I did want to like you talking um, – so I watched this movie a lot mm-hmm. when after I first saw it. And like I – when I – sort of when I was coming out, I was like I used to watch The Matrix a lot. I mm-hmm. wonder if that was anything. Sure. So when I was watching this last night – and it was as mm-hmm. a matter of fact. When I was watching this last night, I was like I watched this a lot. Did I feel something for Buffalo? Yeah. And I was like no. I, it was like, for Clarice. When I saw Clarice, I was like right. oh, this is how I perceive the world. But of course I didn't fucking know that. I was like yeah. 15. But it was just like oh, I get this. Yeah. I get how she sees the world, how she – interacts with it. Yeah, so. and and how the world interacts with her. Mm-hmm. I mean, the movie is so good at like anytime she walks into a room without overstating it, without cutting to a bunch of close-ups, without having dialogue and making too much of a meal out of it, really showing the way the temperature of the room changes. Yeah. Whether it's because these guys are sexually attracted to her, sure. whether be- it's because they can't believe that she's her. in this exactly. room. Yes. Yeah, like- she seems unqualified. Yeah. Right. They think she's at risk. They're intimidated by her. Whatever it is, every scene is people in some way being affected by the fact that she seems so outside of the person who is usually doing this job. Have you guys talked about Foster on this show at all? Because this is like, she goes hard I don't after think this we've role. covered a Foster before. Is that I'm, possible? Is that possible we've never covered a I Foster? I feel like we haven't. I don't believe so. Talked about her. Let's take a quick look at her filmography. No. We've not. I mean, and it's no, it's crazy because this is her so. second Oscar. Yeah. It is, yes. You know, yeah. and someone where, like, the first Oscar was like, oh, that's nice. She graduated. She's not a child star anymore. Right, right. But also, was it was somewhat of a surprise. She was a pretty young winner. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and then just three years later, she wins a second Oscar because it's kind of like undeniable. Yeah, I mean, like I don't like Hanks's performance in Forrest Gump. Yeah, uh, and but he won the Oscar, and I think he won the Oscar because people were like, "Well, I mean, that movie is him. He has to win, right? right? You know, like right. even though he just won. Sometimes those multiple winners. I mean, yeah, Kevin Spacey being another one. Where yes. like you're kind of like, why the fuck did he win? He just won, like, right? And it was just at the time people were like, "Well, that's he. He has to win, like, right. you know, it was just if, some if weird you overriding think this is thing. The best picture of the year. It is entirely based around kind of the Green Book thing, kind of. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, Marshall that's why Marshall, right. because yeah. everyone who voted for best picture then has to, by extension, think that's the best performance of the year. Right. And it's not a showy performance. It is not the no, kind of performance that no. usually... No, no, Jody's. Yeah. Oh, Jody's. It's yeah, that, sure, like, right. it is not the kind of performance that usually wins Best Actress. No. Because usually is. Best Actress no. is screaming and plate-throwing. So, 100%. Yeah. Yes, because most of the movie is All her the other... in extreme close-up trying to show as little emotion as possible. Right. Yeah. Trying right. to sell steely to whoever she's talking to. 100%. And it's those close-ups that are her friend because she can do the flicker of an eye. The, she the, can, like, the little yeah. trembles in her voice and in her face and all that. I mean, obviously she has like one of the great Oscar monologues or exchange, you know, the, yeah. the silence of the lambs monologue, you know, like that is, right. anyone would remember that coming out of the movie, but it's not, a big yelly performance, at right? All. But also, yes, that that's uh, it's a big monologue on paper. That is like, oh man, this is a home run, Oscar nomination, slam dunk. Sure, right. but uh, ninety nine out of a hundred people would have gone much bigger with that monologue. Yes, and ninety nine out of a hundred actor directors would have demanded, demanded big, yes. right? Yes. Covered it a different yes. way, cry something, right? Like right. I don't know, right? I mean, it, she's really recounting it as sort of like absolute trauma. Yes. You know, I mean, she's, she's and also barely... like he's found this thing right very quickly, which right. is his skill, right? Because Crawford's immediate warning is like, "Don't let him in your head." Yeah, and he's like, "Yeah, I found the box. Let's open the box." And <laughs> yeah. she's like, "No, I don't want to open that box. I want to do this thing." And right. she's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. "We're gonna open this box." Like, right. Oh, Hannibal Lecter would have had a field day with old me. I mean, like, well, but that's the thing. I mean, yeah. he's like obviously Hannibal Lecter. Spoiler alert: does like to eat people. He right. eats them up. No good. Very yum, bad. Yum, don't yum. do it. But he is also, there's the thing, right? And then yeah. there, it, 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 the cop is talking about Buffalo Bill when he talks about, like, is he a vampire, right? Mm-hmm. But, so. like, that's what Hannibal is. He's, yeah. like, a vampire. Right. He, like, wants to eat your feelings, too. Right. He loves it. Like, right. it's yeah. his favorite thing. If he thinks you're, like, a gauche, you know, idiot, like uh, Chilton or whatever, he has, like, no use for you. He just wants to, like, eat your body. Right. But, like, if you're, like, Clarice, he's, like, I want to, like, open up your brain and, like, eat your emotions. Well, they also, like, everyone warns her, like, you know, this is the thing he's going to do. Don't give him an inch. If he gets inside your head, you're fucked. Right. And they sell it as, like, a he will weaponize it in some way. He will use it to destroy you or get himself out of prison or whatever it is. Right. Weirdly, though, he's a mentor. Well, yeah. well, that's the that's, thing. And that's the, what this relationship the duality is. duality right. is what makes it so great. But, but I also think the the thing is, uh, he misses getting to do his job. Sure, yeah, like right. you know, he Why wants, else would he be a psychiatrist? He wants right. to get into people's heads. Could have been a chef. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, <laughs> good cook. Yeah, um, or a butcher even. Yeah, because the books make this clear, and then the show made it very clear. Yeah. It's like he eats people he thinks are rude. Like right. he doesn't like <laughs> right. rudeness, and then he'll right. eat you up. Right, the, or he eats people to like to sort of gain their pet. Like he'll eat other killers, things like that. But the yeah. cannibalism got in the way of right. his psychiatry career. But like with Will Graham or whoever, like he's yeah. not necessarily like I want to eat you up. Right. Like yeah, you know. he wants to uh, utterly 
dismantle Will Graham. And right. like in the show, it's very explicit. It's a homoerotic thing yeah, where he's right. like, if I can get you to fall in love with me, then you will just totally like right. fall and apart. And that's why Tumblr right. exploded yeah. when that show mm-hmm. came out. Yes. But that's like, you know, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is psychiatry for him isn't a cover. It's not no. means to an end. Right. I think he genuinely gets off on the fact that he is this fucking good at it. And mm-hmm. the worst punishment for him in terms of being in prison is that he doesn't have access to people he can pull apart that way. And the thing with Buffalo Bill is like, he's like, yeah, I know that guy. He's yeah, he's lame. Like, right. You know, he thinks he's this, but I immediately figured him out and like that he was no fun. Right. Anthony Held is boring to him. Well, Anthony Held, right. It's just, he's right. just, I want to eat you up because you're awful. Right. right. So Clarice is like. He is a gauche, crass man. Right. Like, which he hates. Yeah. Right. Clarice is for the first time in a long time, him having someone who he can really chew on, right. no pun intended. Like, this is an interesting psychological You makeup. intended that pun. Intended, baby. <laughs> I was kidding. That pun was intended. You intended it. I intended it. No, but it's like, for him, I mean, I think the quid pro quo thing is literally like, I need to get quid something out of this. Theories. And what I want to get out of it is like, let me play my favorite sport again. Right. Like, yeah. let me do a couple rounds in the batting cage. Right. I can't figure you out, and you're interesting. The elements don't line up. You're four foot eleven. You sound like Holly Hunter. You're you're still in training. <laughs> right. They sent you here, and you seem to be a lockbox of emotions. Into training. Right. Yeah. Right. Because in- but you're also not playing hard ass with me. You're not trying to be a man. Right. You're not trying to be a ball buster. Right. 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 What's your fucking deal? How did you end up here? In Red Dragon slash Manhunter, yeah. that's like about, like you know, we're at the tail end of his relationship mm-hmm. with a, a law enforcement guy. And so, like, when uh, Will goes to see him, mm-hmm. he's it's almost like like old boyfriends, right? Yeah. Like it's He's like, that's the same awful cologne, and Will is clearly, like, right. uncomfortable because it's like, yeah, we did... We did the whole thing. We like sucked each other dry. And right? Will you know? is like the, And Clarice is right. like new, you right. know. Yeah. Will is like the TV show that he's been watching for years and years and still watches out of obligation, but he's pretty much like gotten all the narrative juice he's gonna get out of that thing. Mm-hmm. Clarice is like you imagine the first interesting person right. he's been able to have extended conversations with. Look, we all love Frankie Faison. He's great. Yeah. He's very charming in this movie. Yes. But, uh, you know, there's only so much conversation they're having, I guess. You know what's the thing I love that this movie does? What? Almost every actor with more than three lines is billed in the opening credits. Yes. Yeah. Oh, great opening credits, I, too. I mean, That oh. font. Can I get a T-shirt with that font on it? You know, the black letters with the white border. Super yucky. Pay I saw, attention. I saw yeah. Chris Isaac there. And I was like, wait, Chris Isaac's in this? And his character name is literally like FBI team leader. Yeah, I believe something. it is right. SWAT commander. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And Daniel yes. Van Bargen. Daniel yeah. Van Bargen, Roger Corman is in this movie. Right, he is plays filled. the FBI director. Yes, he does. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you have like uh, classic uh, demi guys like um, uh, Charles Napier and uh, Tracy um, Walter. And what? What's the guy? You know, the, Dick Miller, the guy yes. who's in everything. Who's the funeral director? What's that guy? The funeral. I think that's Tracy Walter, who's the guy who's Bob the Goon in Batman. Mm-hmm. No, uh, he was. Uh, well, I get faces mixed up. Okay. <laughs> it is Dick Miller is in this, right? I don't know if Dick did I make that up. Did I think I just, you made that up. He's in something else. I just okay. watched. I take it back. Sorry. A different Demi. Not a different. Not a Demi. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just. I love that. I love a movie that like loves its actors enough mm-hmm. that it's like these people deserve opening credit. And he's an actor director. Like oh, yeah. actors love to work with of him. Course. And like he gets great fucking casts. From from 1980 to 1991, he only has one film that does not get an acting nomination. 
Hmm. And he gets four wins? Four wins, if you're including this? He gets four acting wins. It's Tom Hanks. Oh, oh, you, oh you mean over his yeah. career. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. saying, right. So that's pretty crazy that it's like, for, for a decade, he only makes one film that doesn't get an acting nomination. And it should have. Right, it's, it should have gotten fucking three acting nominations. <laughs> That's your favorite film, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. It's your favorite Demi. Something That's your number one, yeah. Uh, it is crazy that, like, Leota didn't get nominated for that, Griff didn't get nominated for that, Daniel we'll, we'll, didn't get nominated we'll for that. We'll dive into that. We'll have already dove. Flash. <laughs> we will have Divin. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, but yes, he he was such an actor's director and was such an actor's friend, and I feel like the, the Demi close-up thing is, like, when people see movies that have close-ups this good, I think they they first think, wow, this movie's well shot. Yeah. And then they think, oh, wow, these actors are good that they can hold a close-up this well. Yeah. And the thing they don't think about is, especially if it's like first-person POV, right. that is a very, very vulnerable thing to ask an actor to do. It is incredibly unnatural to do a scene where you are staring at the camera rather than your scene partner. Right. Or even staring at your scene partner but the camera is right next to their face. Yeah. It is super fucking uncomfortable. Yes. Uh, and unnatural. Yes. It, it kills the reality of what you're doing. So often you're trying to be aware of where the camera is, right. but kind of ignore it and not look at it. And in order to get that down, which like, you know, Barry Jenkins is the heir apparent who has nailed that in the modern day. Say, yes. It, it's it, there's a reason why those two guys are known for their sense of empathy and their love of actors and their protection of actors and of the process and all of that. Because in order to make those shots work, you need to create a very specific kind of environment. Yes. And a level of trust. Um, I, t- I asked Barry about it when I interviewed him. And he talked about how, like, the for Beale Street, Kiki had yeah. never been in a movie before, basically, right. Kiki Lane. And you're asking and so she, to do, right. No, but she was less disturbed by it. Oh, interesting. Because, like, she was not really used to, like, movie acting. She didn't have to, like, untrain herself. Right. Whereas, right. like, Stefan James, like, the, the other actors were more, like, it's, right, unsettled by that. Like, look right, right into the camera. Which, like, yeah. both of those directors use those shots to convey very specific emotions and place you in those moments. Mm. So, like, in Sansa Lambs, it's almost always someone feeling terror at what they're watching, and they're having to play it against a lens. Yeah. You know, that's a tough thing to do. I think what this movie understands is that to be in Clarice's point of view, you can never literally be in her point of view. Yes. Like... It, the famous, of course, the famous shot in the last sequence when Buffalo Bill is like reaching out for her. And it's yes. just like you become her in that moment because you right. understand her as like an object of what he wants. Yeah. Similarly to how when we see her from Hannibal's point of view, um, this is the thing I read. He like he said he never had her look at the camera because then right. she's you, always like five degrees. Yes. Off. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Whereas when you look at it, Hannibal, he's looking at the camera because that down orients down. you in what she's seeing. Totally. So it's it's a fascinating like way of tricking you into having her point of view without really doing her point of view. He was a very very intuitive filmmaker mm. because you look like the the sort of like visual language on display in this movie is insane and so fucking complicated and so risky and you're like this should not work. You should not be able to cover scenes in this way. But you get the sense that he just sort of grappled onto every scene, every line of dialogue, every shot and went what's the best way to convey this. Sure. Yeah. And he always had a really good understanding of what this was. His analysis of what he was trying to get at was really good. And this is like the movie where it just totally coalesces and he just figures out like, when do you need to be in her shoes? When do you, do you need to be seeing her through someone else's eyes? Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always the right decision and it's always to the right degree. 
And I think it speaks to his another one of his strengths, the idea of collaboration, is he saw how much Jodie Foster wanted to be in this movie. She was not his first choice. Yeah. He was like his fifth choice. If she wants to do it this badly, she's probably something got something. So right. let's, let's do it. Let's do some context. Okay. Thank you yes. for queuing that up. Thank you, Emily. This book, the book came out in 88. Yeah. And it was a big hit. Right. Good book. Uh, it's a great book. David Foster Wallace called it basically the best American novel of the decade. Does the uh, he book was obsessed with it and would read it constantly. Come out after Manhunter yes, is released. Yes, it does. The movie it comes a couple okay. years after okay. Manhunter. Manhunter, obviously, we covered it on this podcast, yes. and it kind of went nowhere. Was not a big hit. Yeah. Um, Orion Pictures, which mm-hmm. by the time this movie came out was basically defunct, this right? Is or like getting their close last to defunct, gasp. right? Yeah. But which they optioned insane. the film yeah. with Gene Hackman, who is going to direct it. That's crazy. You didn't know that? No. Yeah. Uh, Hackman, I think, wanted to play Jack Crawford and direct it. Mm-hmm. That was the take. That's so telling for, like, a, a movie star at that point in his career to go, like, well, Jack Crawford's the hero of the movie. <laughs> I don't— I'm not going to play Hannibal Lecter because that's the monster. Yeah, maybe he just thought he could. I don't know. But also, when you read the book, and, of course, people point out, like, Hannibal's not in a ton of the movie, sure. even though he is totally a lead, oh, and it's indisputable. I will get into this. Please remind me to get into this later. Okay. Do you, do you disagree with me? No, I oh, agree okay. with you, but I came with fucking stats. Good, thank you. Because <laughs> I did I, the fucking this, work last yeah, night. because the stat oh, yeah. is wrong. The stat is wrong. It's hellishly wrong, and it's been repeated endlessly. The stat is wrong. We will circle back around we'll to it, but I brought okay. my fucking numbers. Good, good, I did good. the fucking work. Good, Everyone's good. wrong. Good. Everyone is wrong. Well, it's one of those, yeah. <laughs> the screen time things is people <laughs> clicking whenever they're actually on screen yeah, or whatever, thank and you. it's so bad. We'll get to it. So bad. Hackman wants to make the movie. Dino De Laurent. Did Hackman ever direct a movie? I don't think so. That's so weird. I mean, and he is a legend, and we yeah. do stand. He's a legend, Mr. Wayne. Right, exactly. Yeah. Do yeah. we stand? Oh, okay, love Gina. Have okay. you seen his Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives performance? No. no. Guy Fieri. Sounds good. Guy is this recently? One love? season. It's like 2008 or something. One what? season, he goes to a place in Santa Fe. He's like sitting down talking to the customers. One of them is Gene Hackman. It is not entirely clear that Guy Fieri knows. Sure. It's Gene Hackman. Obviously, they figured out once he signed he a release or whatever. He just thinks like, oh, it's an old man but getting yeah, brunch. And like Gene Hackman's like, yeah, I like the breakfast here. And like, <laughs> <laughs> it's his, I believe on IMDb, it's his last credit. That would like, be, that yeah. would be his, uh, that his might, most recent. Yeah. Right. He might go to his grave with that Screen being his last I'm always appearance. surprised when people don't know about that. Like, yeah, it, there's a, if you look on YouTube, Gene Hackman, Diner Strivens and Drives. Yeah. That is incredible. Okay. They bring in Ted Talley. Uh, to write the adaptation. Ted Talley was not a big screenwriter at the time, but whatever. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, he like, wrote like White Palace. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and he writes the script and Hackman is like, this is too violent. I don't want to make this. Yeah. And withdraws. Sure. Which, love Eugene, but what the fuck? Like, you, right. it, you didn't see this coming? I, whatever. It doesn't matter. The funding falls through. Orion Instead of like giving up, is like, no, this is interesting. The script is interesting. Mm-hmm. Let's find another director. They get Demi. Demi reads and is like, this is great. I'll do it. And it just after that, it's like rapid. They just they just go because you'll uh, read interviews with Demi collaborators, and mm. by and large, in the Demi camp at that time, people were like, Jonathan, why the fuck are you making this movie? Yeah, right, right. Well, not he, because the script wasn't good, but they were like, "This seems completely this is out off. of whack this with everything you. you've been building right, in your career. Yeah. You don't seem like someone who wants to spend this much time in darkness." Right. You know, he goes to his two least successful movies from a creative standpoint up until that point in time are the two that are thrillers: Last Embrace and and and, and uh, the uh, what Fighting Mad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
So he goes to Michelle Pfeiffer, who he just worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, Jodie Foster's like, I want to do it. And he's yeah. like, I'm going to talk to Michelle, who he just you know, did Married with the Mob mm-hmm. with, Married to the Mob. Mm-hmm. She turns it down. She didn't like the subject matter. Mm-hmm. She does say it was a difficult decision. Sure. Uh, he went to Meg Ryan, who turned it down, too mm-hmm. violent. Went to Laura Dern, who the studio said, no, thank you. Uh-huh. Because I guess Laura Dern's pretty young at that yeah, point. Yeah, Laura Dern's kind of like, yeah. and and she was so dewy at that point. Like sure, I, I saw sure. uh, Blue Velvet the other day, mm-hmm. uh, revival screening, Congrats. and you forget how much of the Laura Dern like thing for so long was just like innocence encapsulated. Sure, sure, yeah. Right. Like that was even Lynch's original like, like use of her, right? Yeah. But even through like like Jurassic Park is just like this is someone who's just like a ball of light and excitement for dinosaurs god I fucking love her in Jurassic Park she's so good in Jurassic Park um, so the, I will say I will say though I think those other three people all probably would have won the Oscar playing this part I think so yeah if, if, if as long as it had all gelled I right. would agree with you right. Pfeiffer for sure Pfeiffer, Pfeiffer would have won the Oscar I mean, but that's the thing about Pfeiffer is just outrageous that she doesn't have an Oscar yeah, yeah. It's just it's outrageous. outrageous right is she, did she lose was she one of the ones who lost to Foster the first time if so, she might have been in supporting. No, I think you're right. But if so, what a fuck up. Because <laughs> that first Foster Oscar, you can give that to one of the other. Foster should not have won that Oscar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no offense to her. Obviously. No, but that's well, one that's of. Glenn Close lost that one. And Michelle Pfeiffer was in supporting. I think. I think. I that. need to find this. Okay. Uh, Glenn Close. You're right. It's when Michelle is for. Because Michelle should have won for Fabulous Baker Boys. That's her greatest performance. Yeah. It's a great movie. Your mom's favorite movie of all time? Uh, along with I Know Them, we're not, I Know Where I'm Going, The Power sure, Press. Sure. Those yeah. are the top two. Yeah. Um, Foster, Glenn Close for Dangerous Liaisons. Melanie Griffith for Working Girl, which was a big one yeah. at the time. Yeah. Meryl Streep for A Dingo Ate My Baby. And Sigourney for Gorillas in the Mist, that yeah. weird two nomination year of hers. That's right. a weird year of a bunch of people who seemed. Like, oh, inevitable Oscar win in the right, next right. decade and then still have not won. Like, and Sigourney was just like, oh, Sigourney's going to win any yeah. day now. Right. Michelle Pfeiffer's going to win any day now. They will continue dominating. Glenn Close, Glenn Close is going to win any day now. She's kind of right. I think the wife will pull it out this year. I think oh, this year. Fuck. What yeah. if they just resubmit it every yeah. year? They're like, well, the wife. She's yeah. still a wife. Yeah. <laughs> um. So still a wife. She's still a wife. Why, still the wife. What if they? What if they re-release it? What if she remarried the what wife if, too? What if they re-release it and just call it the wife too? Still wife and what if Clint? And what, otherwise, the film is unchanged. Just different title card. What if Clint Eastwood made the wife too? Oh like that would be a great fucking movie. That would, like, be, I would love to see that movie. He would get it. They railroaded her. <laughs> Nobel Prize jerks. They wouldn't Those let her jerks. be a wife. All she wanted was to be a wife. This is the thing. Is like he made Changeling. Changeling is the same thing with it. It's not like it's yeah. only uh, the Richard Jewels of the world that Clint Eastwood wants to be like. They railroaded him, <laughs> you know. Like any, as long as they've been railroaded, Clint is intrigued. Clint distrusts everyone, but yes. his sweet spot is when the person who's being railroaded is someone who should ostensibly be hailed as a hero. Right. Yes. One hundred percent. Otherwise, which is just, true of the wife from right, the wife. Totally so. true. She should be hailed as a hero and given a Nobel Prize. Fuck, Clint Eastwood should have directed the wife. There but, could have been like a Nobel Prize scene, like yes. in Sully, yeah. where the board is like, "Well, I don't think you wrote these books," and she's like, "Let's get serious right. now." I thought you were saying that Sully won the Nobel Prize, which he is did. true. He yeah. won the Nobel. Yeah, Prize. he right. swept the board that year. Yeah. Sully's All so Nobel fucking prizes. good. What, he they, won the MacArthur uh, genius I grant. I hope Sully wins. Get a Gugfeld. Yeah, he got a Gugfeld. This is Ben's new thing. Ben's new thing is he's going to get a Gugfell. Yeah. 2020. And he plans to get it in the field of calling it a Gugfell. <laughs> what were you going to say? 
Do you think Sully's going to win Best Picture this year? Yeah, I feel true. like this might finally be this its year. year. It's, gonna happen. it's so overdue because yeah. you go four years in a row without it winning Best Picture is pretty embarrassing. Look, 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 it's a blight look, on the academy. It would win Best Picture if they had the Oscars in July. They should have put it in July. <laughs> Fleabag, uh, Fleabag won the Emmy. It totally. right. had so richly totally. deserved. It's time for Sully. I think exactly. that that is what the yes. universe is telling us. 100%. Yes. yes. For the role of Dr. Hannibal Lecter, okay. Jonathan Demme wanted one man and one man only. Ugh, I got to guess this. You, do you know? I think I know. Go on. I'm forgetting. It's funny, right? I guess so. It's obvious. It is the obvious choice at the time. It is the obvious choice at the time? I would say so. Do you know who I'm talking mm-hmm. about? Yeah. It I mean, it's very much obvious. a guy who, who got it? approached for a zillion of these kinds of roles. Who was it? Sean Connery. Oh, of course. You know, like, and instead of Scotland, he found a Welshman. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, but, that's sort of, like, that big gravitas actor, yeah. older, you know, will command the camera, right? You that know. would not have worked, though. No. Because you're like— oh, Well, it's a very different movie. But you're like— Fo- And, of course, Brian Cox, another Scotsman, totally. had already played him. But you're like, Fox, uh, uh, Foster's perfect, but the Pfeiffer movie would have worked. The Meg Ryan movie would have worked. Who was the other one you said? Lord Dern. Who knows about that? Was there a, one other non-Lord Dern one? Worked. Yeah, anyway, sure. I mean, she's the right. She'd have been great, yeah. but it but, would have set her career on a whole different trajectory. Very much yes, so. yeah. yes. Um, Con- Connery, though, the movie would have uh, folded in on itself. It would have been Finding Forrester. It would have literally, right? He just would have been like, "You're the yeah. cop now, dog." Right. Or even in the best case scenario, <laughs> eyes open, boy. <laughs> <laughs> what if he'd said that? Keep your eyes open for Buffalo Bill. He's out there. Best case scenario is it would have become the Hunt for Red October. The game is on. You know, like it would have been like he is good in that. But that's my point. It's like it would have been like Sterling Popcorn Entertainment that suffers a little bit from having to fold into his movie. And star said it was Starling Popcorn Entertainment. Okay. I'll let myself out. This is yes. outrageous. I've made like eighteen terrible jokes. Baldwin, perfect joke. Perfect <laughs> joke. Perfect ten comedy points. I mean, and then there's this thing where it's like other actors considered for the role, which I feel like is probably just like I don't know some studio list they found. Yeah, Al Pacino. Uh huh. Who. <laughs> in 1991 or whatever, right. would have gone ham. Right. <laughs> he would have been crazy. Yeah. Robert De Niro, who probably would have gone the other way, uh-huh. right? Really locked in. Yeah. Dustin Hoffman. I mean, what the fuck? Yeah. This is a stupid list. Right. It's, it's Derek the- Jacoby. That's his curveball. Weird. A little yeah. more of like yeah. a theatrical yeah. presence yes. type guy. And Daniel Day Lewis. Uh huh. Um, but I don't think any of those work. I think Jacoby would have been too close to what Brian Cox had already yeah. done. Not yes. that anybody right. knew right. Manhunter, but yeah. like. Um, that is fair. Now, Anthony Hopkins was, was a guy who was nowhere. Right. He had had this young career that was promising. Right. Where he's in, you know, a lot of theater. and then Magic he's in, and like, the dresser. and Magic right. and uh, Bridge Too Far. And then he's in The Elephant Man, which he's fantastic right. in. Uh, but, but that's 81? 80. 80. So, you know, geez. that's like, you know, a decade ago. Right. And, you know, then it's like, I don't know, fucking, I mean, The Bounty, which was kind of a famous flop, but then, like, The Dawning, a chorus of disapproval. I've never heard of this shit. Yeah, he's kind of just in the margins. He's a nobody. Yeah. Like, he's a nobody. (laughs) Right, right. But he was, like, in that position of, like, this is someone that everyone agrees is a good actor, but is not a movie star and doesn't have any clout. Which is probably one reason they can get him. Because I guess a lot of these bigger actors are probably like either like too gross or not. He's a supporting character. Anyone who's too established, I think, would be afraid to take on this role and have it fight with their star persona. That list that you read and knowing that Hannibal is supposed to be European, just vaguely European. Right. Mm -hmm. He's supposed to be right. right. Would Pacino have done a Euro trash accent? Oh, boy. (laughs) 
Did we get deprived of that? Oh, he would have been so good. Oh. Pacino, come on. He would have killed it. Yeah. Come on, do it. But it, but it's the same. I eat his liver. <laughs> Solid beans and a nice county, baby. Um, closer! Come closer! But like Baldwin talks about Hunt for Red October, and mm. he was like, it was such a big deal. Sure. Like uh, Clancy Baldwin's was a real huge. baby face when he's making that. Right, yeah. right. Uh, Jack Ryan was so huge. He was like, I remember getting on a plane and seeing that every other person was reading a Jack Ryan novel and going sure. like, holy shit, I'm about to be the next massive iconic character. And he was like, and then all of that went out the window when they hired Connery. Because the movie became Connery's show. The entire thing became in service of Connery. Not because he was a diva, but because he is this, like, like supernova, mm-hmm. you know, all-powerful, commanding— 100%. He's only presence. a couple years removed from an Oscar win himself. Right. Like he has become, like, grand old man Connery. Right. Yes. But also that he's just like, uh, yeah, I'm going to use my voice. And the right, character's yes. Russian. Everyone talks about him being Russian. Right. And everyone's like, we're not even going to pretend. It's no. Connery. You know what you pay him to do. No, that's and, the whole thing. Same with the, he's like, I'm from Chicago. Right. I'm a the, Chicago gangster. Yeah. That was the wonderful era of just actors being like, Kevin Costner, yeah, you're Robin Hood, whatever. Right. You can right. just do your Kevin Costner. Right. He sounds right. like he's from Oklahoma. Yeah. 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 I do want to note that uh, producer Ben has left the uh-huh. room. And I am now producer M. You so. are producer M. Wow. So, yeah. That is true. Uh, we uh, uh, The divine producer M. <laughs> Um, but yes, I, I think like Connery would have done Connery and it would have been very appealing, but but he would not have submitted himself to a character. Sure. It would have looked like Sean Connery and sounded like Sean Connery. And he probably would have gone like, well, audiences won't accept me. I think, could, I think it could have worked. It wouldn't have been as good of a movie. It'd be a different movie. It, it would be Hot for October. You'd be like, this is like a perfect piece of like, this is a really fucking solid thriller. It would not have been the transcendent film that it is, yeah. I would argue. Also, Connery is like a big burly guy. He's yes. like 6'2", and he's burly, yeah. right? Which is probably, which is more how, I mean, Cox is a big burly guy. I don't know if he's that tall. He's pretty tall. He's pretty Whereas tall. Whereas like, Anthony Hopkins is quite small. Yeah. He's short. Yeah. He, and in the movie does not present him as sort of like, a physical specimen, exactly. No, and he has, like, these very delicate blue eyes. Oh, the eyes are incredible. Yeah. But, like, you know, like, he's more commanding as a result. Like, right. you're scared of him because of the way he uses his voice, his sort of stillness yeah. in the room, you know what I mean? I mean, like, the opening shot uh, where she's going down the hallway and he's yeah. just, like, standing there. It's, like, literally there's, like, a red carpet that she's walking down and he's, yeah. like, at the end of it. Ugh. Like, it's so theatrical and he's so theatrical without it being theatrical. That he's, like, waiting for you. That it's, like, the Mona Lisa, like, following. It's the greatest yeah. scene in a movie. I, uh, I've been. Right? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there are, like, five scenes in this movie that are arguably the greatest scene in the movie. I know. But, like, the movie is, like, Jack Crawford's, like. Clary, if she's running, I love the running. I yeah. love, you know, and but like then he's like, Clarice, hey, go go talk to Hannibal Lecter, but be careful. She's yeah. like, okay. She goes see him. And we're like, we're like, hey, what's this movie gonna be about? Like, mm-hmm. oh, it's like a thing. There's, I don't know, something's going on. There's like serial killer on the loose. And like she meets with Chilt, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then like once that scene starts, you're like, oh, am I watching the greatest movie right, ever? What the made? fuck is this? It's, yeah. It's structured like a rom com, but it's yes, a horror yeah, movie. 100%. And like that's the reason people were like, oh, I want to see Clarice and Hannibal fuck. But right. like, no. it's one of those things that people I mean, thought it's they wanted Hannibal, to see. Hannibal the novel, right. Yeah. right. It's like Thomas right. Harris is like, this is what you wanted, right? And everyone's like, 
And that's no. like, it's the right. same thing that happened with the TV show where the relationship yeah. is so intimate. And it's all but in like, the tension though. Right? And like, yeah. I talked enough to Brian Fuller to know that he wanted to do a Science of the Lamp season. And yes, like, of course. Mm-hmm. He was desperate. He wanted to do a Clarice on the show. And like, he was interested in desexualizing that relationship yeah. and like making it about mentorship. And I like, think would be the smart way to I go. Re- I don't remember if this was his casting or if it was fan casting, but I thought it was fucking great. And like, now it would be perfect. You Jody tweeted Foster? Saoirse Ronan. It was Saoirse Ronan. She'd be okay. Yeah. You like, had tweeted yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. And like now she's exactly the right age. It'd be like, I yeah. hope they, I hope they can work that out. It'd yeah. Be great. That would be incredible. It would be because it's still, they still kind of talk about it as like a thing that they could maybe pull off. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause now De Laurentiis is dead. No, if, you yeah. Know, right. He rip, rip. <laughs> no offense. He's no problem, dead. No problem, offense to being excited that he's dead, but like he was part of the problem, right? Like he was sort of the like, the problem was they had sold the, the rights to lifetime to do a show called Starling, which mm-hmm. was about Clarice. Of course. Mm-hmm. I forgot. About and then that. like, those rights went, were tied right. up at the same time Hannibal was on. They've since expired. So like theoretically the deal could be done. It requires somebody to want to make more Hannibal, which. Yeah. Right. Which is sort of a tricky proposition because after Hannibal, which was such a huge hit, no Hannibal thing has ever really like lit the box office or the yeah. ratings. On nobody's fire. uh yeah. Nobody's right. wanted to like touch that sacred ground because Hannibal of course ran 17 seasons and was, you know, a massive success. And we still like, you still have people outside who are probably just like Hannibal. chanting They're Hannibal. They're just eating people outside the embassy uh, studios. Fanables? Yeah. yeah. The Fanables. Uh, ha- Hanheads. Um, was Hannibal produced by NBC Universal? No, it was produced by Gaumont International in association with the De Laurentiis Company. Okay, right. Um, which is why that it, why NBC aired three seasons because right. they got it for like five dollars. Right. Yeah. And then, right. And at the end of the day, weren't they ending? It wasn't airing like Saturday nights. Sort of yeah, like, it was it had on weird Saturdays, time yeah. slots. Yeah. NBC was like, we are literally, literally any ad money we make from this, we make money for off. them. And, 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 like, like, and right. you keep yelling us about it, so I guess we'll make it. It, it was like burning off a Canadian drama in the summer, and, and the, NBC's right. like, yeah. it's a new show. Yes, it was basically their rookie blue. And the first. <laughs> the first season of it love a rookie blue name check the first yeah. season of it was basically a crime procedural uh-huh. and it's a fantastic season that, I, yeah that's yeah. true I've never watched season. any of it and yeah. that yeah. season actually had okay ratings like decent uh-huh. for a show that you got for five dollars that is you know right in which blue. people's yeah. throat uh Strings are turned into yeah. cello strings. Yeah, and um, and then season two is much more serialized. People start to drop off, and then season three is just one of the fuck- fucking weirdest things it's that's so ever weird. aired on American yeah. television, and yes. like nobody watched. It is so. truly quite odd. Um, I do, I do ask, love it though. I do want to ask this: mm. Is there a role that has as high a track record? of great performances as Hannibal Lecter. We talked about this on the Manhunter episode. Oh, it's, no, but it, it's so wild. But it's like, crazy. That lots of people have taken a shot at it. Most of them have done a really good, almost career-defining stuff with yes. it. Yeah. And nonetheless, Anthony Hopkins is so associated with the role to the extent that you forget other people did, right? Like, it's a weird thing but that a, but, Hopkins both dominates it right. and there have been great other go, interpretations. There, there are four actors who have played him, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. In, in filmed media. Yes. Gaspar UL, non-starter. Sure. The other three are all viewed as exemplary performances yes. that are totally different from one another and and aren't diminished by each other in any way. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like there's even any sort of like, well, who's your favorite Batman? Like, you know, there are people who sometimes make the argument that Cox is better or that Mad's got to do more with it or whatever. Sure. But everyone's just like, no, those are just like three perfect – uh, performances. Yeah. Hopkins not ruined, but he kind of you know he leans on it in the sequels. Right. 
in a way that gets a little frustrating. Brian, like, like, yeah. And the thing that's interesting is Brian Cox is playing a human. Yes. Yes. And yes very much Anthony so. Hopkins is playing Dracula. Right. And especially he gets campier and campier with it. And 100%. Matt Mickelson is playing Satan. And they right. are three yeah, he's wildly playing a different demons. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Uh, Hot demon. Right. Like who you want to maybe have you cook you dinner. So that's the other thing is like talking about all these other people who could have played Hannibal. I I feel like this is the kind of performance where people would have been scared in terms of how it would affect the audience's view of them. Sure. If you're coming into this already as an established actor, Hopkins essentially had nothing to lose at this point. He has nothing to lose. Because he was coming off of like two moments when he should have had his breakthrough and it failed to really – maintain so he just rips into this with the ferocity of someone going like how do i make this the most interesting character i can yeah that's all i have to to do here and in a way it makes his career but it also feels like a performance that would have doomed most other people's careers and that it became so iconic that he could never get out of the shadow of being hannibal and the fact that he then successfully has like a 20 year run where he's like doing Merchant Ivory movies no, and he's playing presidents you and go all this from shit. this guy who has become this sort of like, you know, footnote British theater actor. Right. To the next year, to 92, he has Howard's End, he has Dracula. Yeah. He's in Chaplin, right? Like, you know, right. by 93, he has The Remains of the Day in Shadowlands. Like, he just, Hollywood's like, let's make you a movie star. Yeah. What fucking old guy can you play? Right. And they're right? like, you well, know? you're an old British person, so we're going to shove you in some costume dramas. Right. And like, it works. Like but, it was what he wanted to do, I right. think. And he wanted to do it, and obviously he's a talent. This, I, yeah, you talking actor. about that? The closest thing I can think of is Captain Jack Sparrow. Yes, where Johnny Depp got buried by that, and somehow right, Hopkins right. doesn't until he goes back to do Hannibal. Once again. he goes right. back is when he starts to become a bit of a lazy actor. I would right. say. And now I actually quite enjoy current Hopkins, where he's just an old guy, and he's sort of leaning into it again. Like it's the gravitas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. But my favorite Hopkins performance outside of this uh-huh. is. It's time to guess. Nixon? Nixon! Where he's like doing an impression, but he's also like, I am Anthony Hopkins. I'm not going to try and like. He's he's doing the Connery thing. He's doing the Connery thing. You're never going to get over it. He's nailing it, where you're like, this guy is like a maniac, but also. I do sort of love him. Like, you know, there's that weird, like, tension that he's so good at finding. I kind of love Nixon. Nixon rules. Yeah. Nixon Nixon is better than JFK. Yeah. I still prefer JFK, but I do love Nixon. That's my hot take. I think that Nixon Nixon is is like Oliver Stone at his best, like piles of conspiratorial papers around him being like, don't you see? It was all happening in the Bahamas. And he like throws another thing and you're like, my God, Oliver, relax. There was a time when I had to spend a lot of time thinking seriously about the show House of Cards, which is a terrible television Uh, show. But hmm. like if I now try to think about House of Cards, it's very fun, light set to work on. As I, I, I have a friend who was on House of Cards and just like, I have actually talked to several people who were on House of Cards and just like, it was a nightmare. Yes. Like the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but. I wonder uh, why. It's like, it's almost as if there was like one person <laughs> who like has like a notorious track record of Are you horrible being behavior right to everyone. Let me be frank. Carry on, please. <laughs> But when I uh, when I think about House of Cards for like five minutes, it just drifts into Nixon. It just becomes like interesting because I think that it's I think those two are connected. And like right. Nixon is doing everything House of Cards tried to do in two and a half hours and is fantastic. It is fantastic. I think also yeah, it's just like Stone is such a great like that is Stone. He's a paranoic and like a self. That's his perfect subject. Person right sure. yeah. Whereas like the JFK, you know, he with JFK, he's making it about a person who's obsessed with the assassin, mm-hmm. right? You know, but like Nixon is just a great portrayal of power mm. from a maniac about a maniac. Yeah. It's great. After Nixon, right, he's in, he starts flipping. 
Yeah. He keeps the old man roles. Uh-huh. Amistad, you yeah. know, classic mm-hmm. old man where right. he does that big speech, yeah. you know, where he waters his plants. What's the one where he fights a bear? That's uh, what I'm saying. The edge. Then he's like, give me some action movies. Right. So Instinct. You have, the, you have the edge. Yeah. You have the Mask of Zorro. Right. Which people forget. He has a whole opening set piece. Yes. Where he is Zorro. Yeah. And then the rest of the movie, you know, he's he's in it. Yes. As you recently tweeted, a perfect movie. It is a perfect a film. Perfect. It's the greatest film of all time. Uh, then Instinct. Uh-huh. Right? He's in, I mean, he's in. Bad Company? <sighs> yeah, Bad Company. I saw that in theaters. That thing is a stinker. I'm Joel tr- Schumacher film. I'm trying to remember now. The movie is terrible. Mm. Bad Company was written as a sequel to something. That sounds right. And I forget what it was, and it makes a lot of sense and is really funny. I thought, for a second, I thought we were talking about the movie Big Trouble, which was based on a Dave Barry movie. Correct. Which <laughs> yes, it like, was. Correct. I've been thinking about Dave Barry a lot lately. Uh, well, you ever what, think about Dave Barry? Yes, and I, I think about him and I just, I give uh, a mild chuckle. <laughs> just a little wry sort of... A, a skew smile wipes across my face when I think about Dave's world. I've been feeling like if I read all of Dave Barry, mm-hmm. I could understand our current political I think crisis. I, think you, I saw you yeah. tweeting about that. And I'm just like, I, I'm trying to sell my editor on it. She's not convinced. Bad Company was written as a sequel to Blue Street. Right. right. Uh, which is wild stuff. Um, and, and I guess it was just like, what if this time there was an old guy with Martin Lawrence? And there, it's like a buddy movie. Well, no, I think the other problem was it was like the first one is he pretends to be a cop, but he's actually a robber. And they were like, how do we heighten it? And they were like, what if he ends up having to pretend to be an FBI agent? And they were like, through what series of events? And it's like his twin brother. I it's a CIA agent. Okay. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. The idea is you heighten it. Yeah. And the plot of Bad the Company plot of Bad is Company, if to, Chris to remind people who may have forgotten this film. Dead identical twin. Correct. It's Dave with CIA agents. Right. Yes, they, they need someone who looks like Chris Rock. Right. Chris Rock is dead. He has an identical twin also played by Chris Rock. Right. Who's a funny guy. Right. Not a CIA agent. I just remember. And the, Anthony Hopkins is the guy who's like, oh, brother. I remember them announcing that movie no, and me being brother. amped. Because they were like, uh, so here's a movie. It's called Bad Company. It's reworked from a script that was meant to be Blue Streak 2. It's Chris Rock and Anthony Hopkins. I was like, what a great oil and vinegar, odd couple, <laughs> buddy cop action comedy, I presume. And then you see the movie. I remember even just seeing the trailer and going, wow, this looks so fucking dour. Yeah, it's kind of just a thriller. It's a thriller. Yeah. And then Chris Rock like starring two people who should not be playing those roles. Yeah, who have well, no chemistry together. Speaking of the Anthony Hopkins of it all, as you're reading off these roles, I'm mm. picturing them in my head. I've seen a lot of them. I'm even picturing the later Hannibal movies, and I'm like, he feels like a different person from yeah. the person in Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, he does. Even yeah. when he's great, you know? It's he becomes p- more of a movie star after this, where then he's doing the Connery thing, where he's like, character's got to come towards me. That is this he's that. fully giving himself also, to. Also, I feel like in the later the Hannibal movies, because Hannibal film, Animal Brackets film, uh-huh. does not come out for, what, 10 years? At, it's, it's 2000? 2000, 2001? 2001. Yeah, because it's right after Gladiator, Yeah, right? it is, yeah. 2001. So it's 10 years after Sounds of the Lambs, yeah. and it just sort of feels like Hopkins is straining a little too hard to play similar age, you know, yeah. like to sign, like he's trying to be young, and there's a little too much, like, physicality, and then in Red Dragon, which is a prequel to silence. Yeah. He's trying way harder and it feels very strange. Yeah. In my I remember when Hannibal came out, that was February 2001. Mm-hmm. They were trying to replicate the Signs of the Lambs release date. And it was Jeff the biggest Wells, R-rated opening of all whom time. I seem to talk about every time I'm on this fucking <laughs> podcast. Well, he's Jeff the best Wells. of us. Yeah. He is the best of us. <laughs> he was like, he saw an early screening and was like, they should release that on Christmas Day and Ridley Scott can get two Best Picture nominations. And like, I'm pretty sure it was him. 
That it might makes David Poland, but yeah. Well, one either of those, one of them. One yeah. of those I mean, Poland is the Oscar cursor. Yeah. Anytime. Yeah. He, okay. Like he was like f- fucking Phantom of the Opera. Get ready across the board. Is winning the big five. Poland is not a total shitball of a human being, but no, yeah, he's he curses not. everything that he is. He's he is about. bad at predicting the Oscars. He is not a shitball. Uh, Jeff Wells is uh, the combination the of all three Hannibal Lecters, as you discussed. He is a vampire. <laughs> he is Satan. <laughs> But he is also a man. He's also, unfortunately, a constant reminder. I hope he now listens to our podcast. Humanity's valuability. Off the wheels. He does. He. I hope if he does listen, I hope he makes the banner on Hollywood elsewhere say, "A vampire, Satan, a man." A man. It'd be beautiful. A hundred percent. He he did email and say that yeah no, no we let I said throttle off the Wells talk talked to Hopkins a couple times but do you folks know the the Hopkins acting process because I kind of find it kind of fascinating no go ahead and everyone's like he's the most professional actor he's the most prepared mm. he just fucking like nails it a he like reads the entire script uh-huh. like two hundred times okay like just obsessively sure, sure, sure. reads rereads rereads rereads. A month or two before filming, knows his lines backwards and forwards, has it like so thoroughly in his head, records himself doing all the dialogue every night. So that by the time he's gotten on set, he said it so many times that it's like second nature. Right. So that's part one. Kind of crucial for this movie where he's monologuing a totally. lot. A lot of very sort of like complicated lines come out totally. of his mouth. Yeah. But in terms of the actual language, he kind of puts in the work at a scale that almost no one else does. Sure. Of just like everyone's like obsessively no one reads – the lines, practices, memorizes harder, earlier, stronger than Hopkins. The second thing is, which is reported on less, but I have heard other actors who have worked with him say this in interviews and go like, I don't know if I should be saying this or not. What he does to get in a character is like he's like really big on like building the visuals of the character and the costume fitting and the hair and the whatever. And then he has them take the Polaroid. I think it's still to this day a Polaroid. It sure. needs to be an analog process. It takes the Polaroid from when they nail the look of the character. That first time, and he has all the dialogue backwards and forwards, you know, in his head, and he looks at the Polaroids, and they're like, it looks like a possession, where he just starts staring very deeply at the Polaroid, and then he, like, leans into it, and then, like, his eyes roll back into his head, and he, like, inhales and, like, stands straight up, and he's the character. Cool. And not like not like he's method acting. Like now you have to call him Doctor Lecter. Right, but, he's but it's just like ready. he looks at the image of what they finally have nailed the look of the character to be, and he stares at it until he feels like he is embodying that, and then he's just like, "Okay, go, cool." That's how I came out as trans. <laughs> <laughs> Stared at a Polaroid <laughs> of like myself and like yeah. oh. Right. And then like brought it to my forehead yeah. and everyone's like, what are you doing? It's like it's a like, magic eye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the plot of science. <laughs> but we got to talk to Jodie Foster. You, you want to talk about her career now? I think we got to. Yeah. yeah right. We were saying we've never was, gone in. Yeah, I was I was trying to cue you up. I really want to talk Foster. Producer um, M. Jodie Foster, um, as we all know, was a child actress. The Coppertone kid. Uh, 100%. She's the one getting pants by the dog. Um, that's sure. Absolutely. Uh, right. And then, you know, she's in Freaky Friday and she is the Paper Moon TV show and the Bad News Bears. Was she in one of the sequels? Am I wrong about that? I feel like she replaced Mm -hmm. Tatum O'Neill two times, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't think so. I mean, she was in things. Yeah. She was in a lot of TV shows. Bugsy Malone. Uh, yes. People forget that Bugsy Malone and Freaky Friday come out the same year as Taxi Driver. Yeah. Like, it's not like Taxi Driver was late in her child acting career. No. It was pretty 
quickly mm-hmm. because obviously she's only 14 years old when she does Taxi Driver. But like, and so she did kind of after that, after mm-hmm. that whole big year, starts transitioning more to you know whatever grown up movies. Right, but Taxi Driver, I think, was like, oh shit, she can actually act, but right. also was seen as something of a like, you know. Selena Gomez doing Spring Breakers. Because it's she like someone trying to lay the groundwork for an adult career by establishing early that she's not going to be in Disneyland for her entire life. Because when she's in The Accused, it's kind of a like, oh, Jodie Foster's back kind of vibe. Right, Like, you right. know, like, oh, here's like a serious performance from the famed child actor who was in right. Taxi Driver. Um, and then in between The Accused and Silence of the Lamb is just one movie, Catch Fire slash Backtrack. Not a yeah. big movie. And then after this, much like with Hopkins, Hollywood is like, okay, yeah. let's. You're a movie star. You're the you number one. You won an one. Oscar. You have yeah. two. Yeah. Right. So you're like, sensibly the biggest female star in Hollywood. She starts directing a lot too. She yes. Starts directing early, but she true. will always say she prefers to acting and that she wanted to become more of a director and act even less. And less. I. Uh, she I, makes Little Man Tate. I believe comes out the same year. It's that was a big part of their Oscar campaign right. for Silence of the Lambs. Was they were like, we're going to put. Little Man Tate out there. It's going to be a sort of phantom Another Oscar film. campaign, yeah, right, yeah, right, right, for right. because she's going to get all this press. Cute around. Like, movie. Yeah, it's a very nice. That's little very movie. nice. And then in '95, yeah. she made Home for the Holidays, which right. I think is a good movie. Oh, that's, yes, I love that movie. That's uh, a very good. Movie. And then in 2011, she made The Beaver. Yeah, more of a mixed bag that one. Yes. She kind of discovered Jennifer Lawrence though. She did. Uh, kind no, of, she yeah. did. No, Winter's Bone. But like, the, I think, didn't they make that before Winter's Bone? I believe they did. I I am all but certain they did. Um, that's also one of those movies where that was the hot script. Yeah, yeah, I read it as a script. I wanted to play the Anton Yelkin part so fucking badly. And on paper, you were just like slam dunk of all slam dunks. And even when they cast Mel Gibson, I was like, that's an interesting casting choice. And then you watch the movie and you're like, oh, it is a script that is impossible to actually put on its feet. This is the thing that I think a lot about. Blacklist scripts. Yeah. There are so many of them that are like, oh, this is a fucking amazing. The ones that read the best often are unactable. Yeah. Passengers was a movie where like the script is like very good. And it's it's a pretty perfect script. And then the movie you're like, oh, what the fuck? And and Beaver is the same thing as Passengers where it's like it is. It's creepypasta. No, both of them are so difficult to pull off tonally. Mm -hmm. We're reading the script. The, the writer is literally describing how you're viewing scenes and letting you know the tone it's supposed to have. And you're putting it in your mind's eye the way that, like, hits your palate the best. Yeah. And those two films, like, put up on their feet are just, like, impossible to do. I did a, I did a Twitter thread about this around the movie um, uh, Life Itself, the Dan Fogel new movie, which yes, is, like, sure. you read that on the page, you're probably like, oh, yeah, great. I right. get it. And, like, you hear the famous story, like, Warren Beatty wept reading that script. Right. And, like, <laughs> then you see it on screen and it's just – Stupid. Right. Like, I'm, Very stupid. I'm friends stupid with Kyle Killen, the guy who wrote The Beaver. Yeah. Yes. Uh, now he's showrunning Halo, I think, which is I like think. a weird choice. Right. Halo like the video game? No, yeah. the Showtime TV series Halo based on the video game. Okay. Yeah. Right. yeah. Cool. Uh, I'm excited. But yeah. And he's just, an excellent writer. It's just like great screenwriting, which The Silence of the Lambs has to right. – to, but great screenwriting is so often about just like economics of character. Yeah. And anytime you're giving yourself something super flashy, it becomes dangerous. And then actually depicting it on screen yeah. Yeah. is too much. Right. And and it was like there was almost the Jay Roach, Jim Carrey beaver, mm-hmm. which would have gone like totally comedy. Mm-hmm. And then it was sort of surprising that it was like Jodie Foster, Mel Gibson could do it and it's more of a drama – and in reality, like, neither one was the right approach. I kind of want to see the Jay Roach, Jim Carrey one. Because it would just be like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it would have been I just want to complete yeah. Foster's career. One, yeah. she fa- her last 
directorial effort was famously a biopic of David Sims. Uh, called Money Monster. That's right. And then, <laughs> it's the film about you starting the Patreon. And then there was also, <laughs> the, but like we should also, you know, in the 90s she had a, a, rel- a somewhat robust like movie star career. Yeah. Right? You know, there's Maverick, there's Nell, mm-hmm. there's Contact, there's Anna and the King. Yeah. That's her sort of like 90s run. She like gets her- an Oscar nomination for Nell. Mm-hmm. Contact, as people forget, was a pretty big hit and is a great movie. Yeah. Was disliked um, at the time. Do Zemeckis. My God. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know. It's a lot of movies. It's long. That's that's um, the biggest holdout. And the King is kind of like a big Oscar-y movie that flops. Like, you know, and but it's then, also just a stupid idea. Like, 2000s, King and I, people should sing songs. Like, I don't know that I want to just hear the story of a Her King 2000s are fascinating because she'll take like three years in between each movie to the extent that people are like, oh, I guess maybe Jodie Foster's like done. Sure. And then she comes back and has another like third base hit. Yeah. Mm, she has a couple. She Panic has Room. Panic Room and Inside Man. Those Flight are the, Plan. Flight Plan. You're calling that a base hit? Box office? Oh, box office. Sure. I'm talking box office. Flight Plan is, it's weird. She has made two films that I would call outright offensive in the 2000s. Flight Plan and The Brave One. Two films that are like, when you watch them now, you're like, hmm, this is problematic. Uh, this is a tricky movie. Have not seen either. Yeah. Flight Plan is basically a movie that's like, what if you suspected the brown person on your plane was a terrorist yeah. and you were right? Uh, like, that's what Flight Plan is. But Flight Plan did 85 domestic? Yeah, Flight Plan was definitely a hit. Can right. you tell me the director? Uh, Robert Schwenke. Robert Schwenke. Yeah. Made 89 domestic. Director of Red. Pretty watchable movie. I find almost any movie set on a plane watchable because I am so tense during a movie also, set on a plane. just like Jodie Foster in a thriller is like so... So effective. Brave One is not a movie I like, uh-huh. but she did get that. She got that Globe nomination, and you know that was like eh. is that Neil Jordan. That was Neil, Neil Jordan. Jordan. People thought that was going to be a big, I mean, uh, Oscar play for her, and a big sort of it's like so revenge like, thriller. Death hit. Wish. We just did Death Wish. Is still like a template. That I know. Once in a while, people are like, I don't know. Let's do a Death Wish. Yeah. With X actor. Now she's like directing television. She did some oranges and new black. She did episodes. a bunch. Yeah. yeah. And then after that. I mean, well, Nim's Island. Oh, right, Gotta give it up oh, for yeah. Nim's Island. But, like, Carnage, the Polanski uh-huh. movie. Elysium. Uh-huh. Uh, a movie that hangs her out to dry. I mean, she had sort of yeah. said, like, I was pretty much retired from acting. I didn't really want to act anymore. Elysium and I love District 9 so much, I called right. him up and said, I'll do anything. And she kind of has the inside man role, but it's, like, the bad version of that role, right? Like, she's sort of the evil rich lady. Right, and I forget which way it is. Because the movie's forgettable, but either she filmed it with a French accent and they made it dub it to American later or vice versa. Oh dear. And then her whole performance is ADR'd because they wanted her to do a different voice than what she did on set. And then last year, Hotel Artemis. Yes. You forget. Which she is really fucking good in. It's not a movie I love. It's one of those movies where I'm like, I'm ready to love this movie. Me you know, too. Like, love the concept. Love the cast. The cast love is it. unbelievable. You know, the, it's sort of like John Wick, except yeah. John Wick I love. Right. That's another screenplay movie, though. It's totally. another it's screenplay like, movie, totally. 100%. Totally. And it's not like it flops it, but it no. doesn't really but get past, like, cool ideas. She like, is pretty phenomenal She's in great. It. And she's giving a really funny performance. It's a full body performance. It's wild that she's in it. Why it's is she so in wild. it? I don't know. She must have just liked the script. I think she just liked the script. So um, as you're right, so but it's then like basically said, yeah. people are like, oh, I guess she just directs now and kind of chills out. And then yeah. once in a while, she'll do a Hotel Artemis. Right. Well, she'll show up at the Golden Globes to speak up for Mel Gibson. You yeah, know, she like, loves Mel. This is the thing. I think, like, like she, This is the thing. When you look, it's like, Polanski, Gibson. There's a lot of people in her filmography well, she like, like, wow, she really works with the. The famous thing about her was like she was the one child star who didn't fall apart. Like that right. for a long time, right. people, she was like, she's the exception that proves the yeah. rule. 
And yet in the middle of it, she has the, the John Wayne Hinckley thing where, right. yes. and like, yes. where like, it's this huge burden on her life and she like somehow overcomes that mm-hmm. psychologically. And I think that in some way made her more predisposed to be like, these guys are damaged, but like, I see the good in them or something like that. I think she had to get past this element of, oh, this terrible thing happened and I can't think it was about me. She also was like a massive star, had won two Oscars, was Mm -hmm. like an A-list box office leading lady and was- was often afraid or not interested in being one. Sure. I think Hollywood was always ready to put her at at the top. But, But the other fascinating thing about her was she was at her peak living in a total glass closet in terms of her sexuality with a total like don't ask, don't tell attitude of there was never any denial. There were no beards. You know, like 97 or 98, she, like, has a child through inverted fertilization with a partner, and everyone, like, reports on it, but just doesn't, like, directly say, mm-hmm. like, she is married to a woman. Is she out now? She is. She gave a speech at some a, award like, show at the Globes, but this was, like, fairly recently, right? Like, yeah, 2012? she won, like, a Lifetime Achievement Award, and she gave this sort of odd speech. And she said, like, my wife... Yeah. Who she's now divorced from, but she like when she finally came out, she just sort of said like, you know, that person I've been married to for like fifteen years, and we just don't directly acknowledge. I it. had the memory that she gave that speech, and everyone was like, "Did Jodie Foster just come out?" And then in the press room, they were like, "Did you just come out?" She's like, "No." <laughs> I think she doesn't like the press that much. No, and that's yeah. fine. I mean, fair. I yeah. I also I read it at the time as her saying like that wasn't me coming out. Everyone knows I'm gay. You know, sure. Because there was never any sort of like diversion with her which like you know it wasn't even like oh rumors have dogged it was like oh yeah Jodie Foster's gay she's gay everyone knows that I want to point out she also directed the Black Mirror episode interesting people forget yeah she directed Archangel oh right which is not my favorite episode of Black Mirror it's not the worst episode she gets good performances she does I just find it very interesting that even if she didn't like publicly come out at her peak she was essentially the first like major major gay movie star Sure. You know, there was no alternate narrative being thrown around about her. I guess so. You ever think about how the narrative more became like, why hasn't she come out? Like, why hasn't she done the formal Right, right, yeah. You ever think about how in Home for the Holidays she cast as the hot guy who might tempt Holly Hunter to move home as David Strathairn? (laughs) Like, good taste. What a call. What a call. Did Karen Hahn direct this movie? (laughs) 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 Um, Silence of the Lambs. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of like, are there scenes or sequences we haven't talked about? Obviously, we have talked oh. about some of the major sequences. Well, I'm, I'm you have do your this. running time gripe. I understand this will, that. This will get oh, us into one the one thing. I want to shout yep. out: this movie was a legendary, scary VHS cover Correct. movie for me. Yep. My parents rented it because I think, even though they, it was like, I'm a young kid when this comes out, so like it's probably the period where they're probably seeing not a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure this thing was such a big thing that they were like, all right, let's. It's Red Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. The poster, iconic poster, Jodie Foster's face in like extreme contrast. And it the, weirdly the, doesn't even look like her. It feels no, like its own piece like of iconography. Yes. Uh, with the moth over her face. Yeah. I mean, you guys know the poster. Yeah. yeah. Greatest poster. Uh, I was like, what is this movie? Totally. It's about lambs? Yeah. What is it? And my parents were like, no, we can't explain the, this the, one to you. I had, You're too young. There's just I, I don't know where to begin. I had the exact same yeah. relationship with it, and it, I knew it was scary. Totally. I knew that. Well, like, the, the yeah. image is upsetting, but you can't put your finger on why. Right. 
and and the weird the skull on the back right. of the What's moth up with that? Right. is like is that just how it happens to look or is that them making a movie about a monster moth? <laughs> Like, is that a real species? Is this movie about a Mothman and right. prophecies oh that might God. be about the Mothman? Mothman prophecies. Great fucking movie. I have not I've seen, never it. seen it. It's actually a really, it's a really nice little I movie. I believe it. Like, it's, yeah. Um, no, I, uh, we have talked about so much of this movie, and we haven't talked about two of the most famous sequences, like, at all. I just want to point out also, there is the iconic Hopkins poster that is never used. Yes. They had the reverse, essentially. Right. Carry that's, on. That's gross. It's a gross poster. I don't there's like something. Poster. There, I think there's a reason they were like, you know what? The Foster one is the good balance of light and dark. There, there is something. Looks like you're going to get eaten by Darth Maul. <laughs> His face is totally red. Yes. There's something about the blankness of Foster's face that makes the poster really eerie. I was also thinking it's a rare example of like, a poster that totally works on its own as just a striking piece of iconography. Mm. I don't get what this poster is saying. I don't understand what's going on in this movie, but it catches my eye and it makes me curious. And also, after you have seen the movie, the poster is more impressive. 100%. You're like, that's an incredible visual encapsulation. Of what's going on here. Totally. But it's something that like doesn't sell those things to you and spoil it for you going into the theater. And then the poster becomes its own individual work of art. Great movie. Great fucking movie. Now, okay. What did you want to talk we about? We barely talked talk about the second hour of this movie. We've barely we haven't right. talked about Lecter's Escape. We mostly escape. talk about the setup. Yeah. And we have to talk about Lecter's Escape. You're right. What's can, the other we can, haven't can, talked, talked about, about uh the Buffalo Bill's house. Right. Can the, I, last the oubliette. Scene. Yeah. Can I do my scene rundown? Because I think this Please. will serve as a transition to get into the bits we sure, haven't sure, done. Sure. Okay. Hopkins has nine scenes in the movie. Sounds great. I, you know, I can't say I was 100% accurate. He's to nine the for nine. He's in for nine. He's nine for nine. He's nine for nine. He's nine for nine. Um, but my rule was if he is in a scene, my stopwatch is going. Mm-hmm. And if the scene ends, my stopwatch stops. That is what the rule should be. And 100%. I feel like this weird screen time thing became more about when do we see them on screen, as I already said. Right. And so, like, what is it, 12 minutes? There's some, like, they number say out 16. there. Right, where they're like, he's actually only in the movie for 16 minutes. No, he's only, his face exactly. is only directly on screen for 16 minutes. But that's mostly because of the fucking cinematic language of this movie. Yes. Which is separating Clarice and Hopkins. Right. His dialogue is over those shots. No, there's no disputing this. Right. You count the scenes he's in, not the look Right, so of I space. counted any scene in which he was working. Yes. Where he is affecting the scene. Right. Where he's a character in the scene. So yeah. even when he escapes and he's wearing the fake face and all of that, that is a scene he is in. <laughs> that is true, though. The, right. <laughs> Hannibal does have a whole scene where he's just pretending to be a dead body. Yeah, but that's a scene. Anthony I agree, Hopkins I agree, I agree. showed up. He was number two in the call sheet. Yeah, they said, right. Mr. Hopkins, <laughs> you want a coffee? And he was like, yes, thank you. Right. <laughs> you like you want a pillow in between mask. takes? Hopkins in that scene, okay? So Do you just think quit. anyone got to eat those lamb chops? It's a classic Definitely. example of great-looking food not getting The eaten. thing that drives you the crazy. drives me crazy. They're rare. Okay, the first <laughs> meeting scene, six minutes and 40 seconds. The second meeting scene after the rain where he gives her the towel, 420, right? Do you want me to add these times together or have you already done it? I've added it together. Okay. Okay, then it's uh, 530, I think is the third meeting where they start the quid pro quo thing, yes. right? Then Quid pro quo. Scene four, one thirty is Anthony held with him with the cage on his face. Yes. Talking about the transfer. Yeah. Then scene five, I believe, is uh him meeting with the uh yeah, with senator. The senator. Yeah. Uh that's three thirty. Scene six is the big one. Sure. That's the Silence of the Lambs monologue. That's seven. Yeah. The, okay. And then him in the weird cell and all that stuff. Yeah. Right. Uh then him escaping from the cell, the attack is four. Mm-hmm. 
his screen time in terms of— And uh, then also the phone call at the end. Please. Oh, I'm sorry. Then it's the two minutes of him wearing the other guy's face, getting out, sure. right? right? Ending with him waking up in the ambulance. And then scene nine is one minute, which is the phone call at the end. He's got 36 minutes and 30 seconds of screen time in this movie by my count. Right. In like a two-hour movie. In a two-hour movie. Regular. Now, the thing that shifts is— He's not in much of the latter half. That, that's right. the thing. You know, because then it becomes—got to get Buffalo Bill. Because right. the first yeah. hour of the movie, I was pretty much up to 30 minutes. And the I was like— The first hour of the movie is about the two of them. Right. Yeah, that's right. mostly what it's about. Right. And then he, there's a large chunk for about half an hour plus where he doesn't appear until the phone call at the yeah, end. Yeah, because he's yeah. getting to the Caribbean. Right. He's but, getting a wig. He's getting a hat. Here's the, here's the thing I think that throws this conversation is if you gender flip this, if this was somehow a movie about like, uh, I don't know, Eddie Redmayne and Sandra Bullock and Sandra Bullock— Right. It's like a serial killer. Like people would be like, oh, yeah, she's the lead. Of course. Because we don't expect a man to play a supporting lead role right. to a woman in right. a movie like this. Right. But right. that's what this is. It's a lead role that supports the other lead. Or yes. there's a weird version of it wherein like the cursed movie, the Danish girl, mm-hmm. uh, uh, fucking uh, Alicia Vikander is 100 percent the main character in that film. She has is the most screen time. Indisputably the main character she's, of that film. That film she's is about the Danish girl. She is the Danish girl in that film. And they put her in supporting because it was like a cakewalk. It is, she won an Oscar. It is so weird that she has that Oscar. It's so weird that she won and that she beat another lead performance that should have won, Rooney Mara. Yes. As in Carol. Yes. The other thing was, and I feel like— in that case as well, Rooney Mara was the actual Carol 100%. in that right. movie. Yeah. Yeah. She mm-hmm. is Carol. She yeah. plays Carol. Right. But it also is incredibly strange that I feel like right up until the nominations, everyone was like, uh, yeah, Elisa Van Kander is going to get nominated for Ex Machina. And she's probably going to win the Oscar because it feels like a big year for her. And that will be a cool Oscar win. And then the surprise was— They were predicting no, Danish we Girl. we were predicting the Danish Girl. Yeah. You're reading the weird blogs. No, 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 no. I, no Danish Girl was— Ex Machina had its own lovely surprise win. Yeah. People were kind of predicting Danish Girl actress. No. Ex Machina support. No, they were uh, there were a they couple, ran it as supporting. There were a couple places that said that, but they ran. No, but no, but once the once the precursor no, once the precursor started, she was nominated as supporting actress because that was the move they made. Who had that movie? That was uh, that focus. was uh, focus. Right, yeah. right, right. You know, Golden Globes, Golden Schmoes. Um, Oh, no, you're right. Oh? The Globes, they did that trick. Thank you. That was the problem. She got the double nomination, and people yeah. were like, is she going to repeat but it? But then, at the SAGs, she went supporting, because at the SAGs, you uh-huh. put someone in a category, yeah. and they can't be excluded. Yeah. And she won. And that was the moment when Rumi Mara's agent called me and said she wasn't going to do an interview with me. Oh, boy. Wow. Yeah. That's sad. I was going to talk to her, because she was running, she was getting ready for an Oscar campaign, and then the SAGs happened, and I think that everyone else was like, okay. Forget it. Yeah, save your money. Alicia's winning. Yeah. You doomed Rooney Mara, David. It's not my fault. Yeah. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. Take you're, you're right. You're right. There was the ex machina yep. globe knob. Thank you. Um, so, yes, we've talked a lot about the major interrogation We talked scenes. about the, right, the Hannibal, right. Uh, the Clarice scenes. Yes. I, I love uh, all the stuff with Cassie Lemons is so good, too. Mm-hmm. And such a good example of them not putting too fine a point on it, but just like, such a lived-in relationship. It's just like this is what a female friendship's like. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I just was like, oh. And yes. especially, especially in this incredibly male-dominated field, right, where they are like having to prove prove themselves twice as hard at every single turn, and also dealing with such 
heavy, awful shit all the time Mm -hmm. where it's like having a friendship of someone else who gets that scene where they're going over the case file and figuring him out Mm -hmm. and it's all in the the demi first person close ups and Cassie Lemon's lips are trembling just a little bit. It's this like incredible like repeating micro expression she keeps on making and uh, it is like they're excited because they're solving it. But the heaviness of what they're talking about is so disturbing that it's still affecting her psychologically. I also just like that that scene is Clarice being like, hey, friend, figure this out with me. Yeah. Like it's not like just her with like Hannibal in her head like pouring over notes totally. by herself. Well, another scene I love is when they watch the press conference of the senator. Mm. And she's like – She's really smart. She knows what she's doing. She's really smart and explains to everyone like she understands that Buffalo Bill is going to have a harder time killing her. Right. If if she she has a name, if she's a a person, which then transitions into it puts the lotion on its skin and then it gets the hose again. Right. Which is like Ted Levine's best scene as an actor where he's fully playing, talking about like the Demi, like this is a human being. It's a guy working as hard as he can to play the monster and to totally depersonalize her. That scene is insanely upsetting. It's so deeply upsetting. Because this movie is not that violent. No. Even though it's, you know, about a guy who eats people and there's some eating. And there's nothing viscerally graphic in that scene. Not in that scene. And really the most graphic thing in this movie is a severed head in a jar, which is creepy. And the autopsy. And, 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 but then all, and you know, the, the skin review, oh, the, yeah, the face yeah, skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. gross. There, there are some gross things. Right, right. But uh, I think. He I'm, a cannibal. Yeah. But the scenes with her in the oublia, in the pit, mm-hmm. and like the her seeing the nail and all that, like that's the stuff where you're kind of like, I might have to turn this off. I'm yeah. upset, yeah. right? Like that's yeah. sort of the most chilling stuff in the movie. And, One of the, and him this, doing the like the ah, like the weird yes. shrieking. One touch I love. This is skipping ahead to the end. Is that it's scored with that fucking dog barking. Yeah. Which is just like, this dog which, is in pain. Very yeah. anxiety-inducing. So, yeah. yeah, yes. And it's such a weird little touch that you can hear throughout the house at different yeah. It's yeah. so panicky, yeah. all that stuff. She's so good, too, Brooke Smith. Brooke Smith I mean, amazing. every performance in this film is incredible. Every two-line performance is incredible. But her in the car... I forget that this movie has like four really strong needle drops, but but her in the car ben wanted to talk about listening to American Girl. Yes. You get such a sense of who she is in temperament, right, right, but right, it's right. beautiful that's devoid of the context of uh, her parents, right? Right, right, right? That it's just, it could be any random person. You don't understand the weight she's going to hold culturally. Right. The part of, as the, a victim. part of Buffalo Bill's problem was that he accidentally abducted yes. a senator's daughter. Like, right. it doesn't, you know, the, he's not doing it for that reason, but that's like what awakens. Uh, national interest. But it's also right. just like such a beautiful like story decision on Thomas Harris's part, which is like that's how you explain why they're willing to deal with fucking Hannibal Lecter. Right. Because suddenly right. this becomes a thing that the president's weighed in on. Right. Every time anyone goes anywhere in this movie, they go like, oh, that uh, Buffalo Bill case? Yeah, like yeah, everyone yeah, yeah. knows right, this right. fucking guy. Right. He's equivalent to the Zodiac Killer and that like the mythologizing is getting out of hand. Right. The president is weighing in on this. It's become such an emotional story that it's like we can clean up any mass after the fact with Hannibal Lecter. Right. We just need to find her now, uh, which is great. Uh, and watching her do all the math of like, you know, how she can figure it out, but also how she can use this case to her career, uh, career's benefit mm-hmm. to be able to sort of firmly get her foot in so that she can be inarguable right. uh, within the FBI. She's ambitious, like right. in a normal way. Right. You know? She gets it. She's she's a and tiny again, woman. There is a version yeah. of this movie where she is more 
cutthroat because right. like that's often how women who are careerists are presented in these right. where she gives right? a fucking yeah. speech yes. to Casey Lemons about oh we don't get to do right. it yeah. sure exactly or she gives that speech to Hannibal Lecter and he's like yeah. you don't understand how hard my life's been right 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 and Hannibal Lecter is an ally and yeah. you know and he's well, like, look, I Han- agree and he busts out some stats Han- about Hannibal like, Lecter, payment gap he is woke I mean there is like every scene he's in the movie he walks in and he just is like hey the ally has arrived yes like, <laughs> it's weird that he on his jumpsuit wrote the future is female <laughs> And then if you turn around on the other side, it says, nevertheless, she persisted. Right. And both <laughs> right. are written in blood. <laughs> no. Okay. So I other, I also think like, you know, uh, Red Dragon, the first uh-huh. um, Harris novel, uh, which is about like a man who the, he, he's the version of the cop who's like, I have a disease and my disease is that I understand criminals and I'll never be cured. Right. right? Like I, I understand killers. That's like what Will Graham type is. Yeah. Whereas like. This movie is all about Hannibal trying to understand Clarice. Right. And her disease is like, I just feel like if I save this person, then then finally the the, the ocean inside me will be calm. Well, right? the beauty of the Even title, though she knows it won't at this. The you beauty know, like, of the title is that the title is aspirational. What right, she is exactly. striving for in life is to get to the silence of the land. Yes. She wants to be in a place where she feels like she's been able to personally stop the crying right. because the idea that people are in that much pain and suffering – Flips her the fuck out. And like it is wild that this movie, the crux of this movie is that story. Right. Because it's not like that story. She's then like lambs, but an anagram of lambs is this. And that's where he lives. Like it's not like Elector is trying to get her to realize something about the case when they're talking about her. But but it is it's such a key thing because as you said like viewing Will Graham as this sort of shadow of of Hannibal or vice Mm -hmm. versa right sure Uh, they're both people who have spent their lives studying the psychology of incredibly broken dangerous people right Right, right, right. and it has kind of destroyed both of them which is like what behavioral science of the FBI when Mindhunter eventually is going to be like you know and this movie is based on the Mindhunter Jack Crawford is the Mindhunter guy right like that's the classic thing right Right. if you spend all this time with serial killers maybe you'll sort of start to go mad yourself and Hannibal's sort of superpower is he understands that mind so well that it gives him such a clear vision of how fucked up humanity is and the human brain can be that it makes him into this total fucking like nihilist who wants to eat people's brains and shit. Right. It's also really smart about making Buffalo Bill someone that only Clarice could catch. Yes. Well, that's because, that's, what, that's yeah. the thing. Her magic power is understanding him as a person. Right. And yeah. that's what eventually unlocks it for her. Because she And that's why that conversation is so pivotal. She, she has not given up on humanity yet. Yeah. hundred percent. Which Will Graham is only so successful in being able to stop Hannibal Lecter because he's already gotten to him. Right. The soul's already started getting eaten away at you know, and the fact that Clarice is so much still in the aspirational phase of maybe I can stop it all. Maybe I can let the lambs go free and they'll stop screaming. Right. It's kind of about the ways that men fail to understand women and yes. the ways that women always understand men and like are able to <laughs> navigate within that space. Because like if you accept that Buffalo Bill is not trans, which Demi mm-hmm. certainly wants us to think, then he is a man who is like – not comprehending that womanhood is more than this costume he wants right. to put right. on, which right. is true. He and thinks like, that'll fix it if he yeah. just can find the right size and the right person. And, right. Right. Yeah, and yeah. the Thomas Harris thing, like Brian Fuller was big into this, is like every killer is wants to transform themselves in some way. Right. And yeah. like he's trying to wash away his pain by becoming what he thinks of as the opposite of himself without realizing that like 
it's within him at the same time. Right. That's not right. That, yeah. right. It's not that he feels that he is a woman. It's that he wishes he were a different person. Yeah. So the most drastic way he can think of making that right. happen. Which is why he's like applied for uh, sex reassignment surgery and right. rejected as like Hannibal points out. Because right. back yeah. then like the, the way to become like legally trans was like you had to like go essentially full time, which means dressing as your the gender that you are. Mm-hmm. You had to do that. For like two years. And yeah. then you could start on hormones and then you could do so. And like it was this long. And like clearly he's not doing that. Like he doesn't right. want to take the social risk of like going out dressed in women's clothing or whatever. Which tells you everything because you sense that he would not feel any freedom from doing that. Yeah. He is looking for some sort of magic solve to how much he hates being in his own skin, which is because of the life he's lived. That you know? said, I do think – that one of the areas in which it, it kind of uh, gets at the trans experience in a way that is like damaging is it's talking about someone who desperately does not want to be himself. Uh-huh. And that is often like I remember for many years I just was like, oh, I just I, – I don't want to be a woman. I just don't want to be me. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. And like I, this, the body I'm in feels wrong to me. But that mm-hmm. doesn't mean I want to be a woman because it's like a huge conceptual leap to make. It's like sure. breaking apart society on some level and like – I do wonder, you know, for all the movies protests to the contrary, it does capture that element of the experience with Buffalo Bill. And I'm like, I wonder to what degree you could do a sympathetic trans reading of this character. I think you could. I'm not going to try it, but I think you could. Yeah. Yeah. It's it'd be tough. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you go like it takes 20 plus years after this movie for us to start getting like trans characters Played by trans actors, yeah. written, written directed girl. by trans, right? And then, right, like that's what five years ago, and even that is an yeah. offensive and misguided project. Right, well, essentially. Once Eddie Redmayne did it, then Hollywood was like, "Okay, everybody who's had to do it, you has know done what? It. Yep. Yes. <laughs> we finally the last are a little one. sick of this, and yeah. that's why when Scarlett Johansson tried to do it, it was like, "Nope, right. Eddie Redmayne did it. Yeah. Yep. yeah, that was the end of the it's road. Done. You missed your window. Um, the other, this is, but like the other thing I. That I noticed this and I don't know is, is like whenever Hannibal's talking to Clarice, mm-hmm. his mind immediately goes to the worst thing. So right. like when, you know, like she went to her, her dad dies, she yeah. goes to live with her dad's cousin. He's right. like, and did he do all terrible things? Right. So like he always goes there. And I think it's partly that he just can't resist like pushing a button, but also like he just assumes the world is like completely overflowing. And when she evil. shows up, he's like, "Oh, so they sent you because they think I'll want to fuck you, right?" right. And then but he's then, like, "Does Jack Crawford want to fuck you?" And she, right. you know, she's good all at sort of, of deflecting yeah. all that stuff. But he's always just like, "Yeah, no, it has to be the worst thing, right?" Because he spent his life yeah. studying. No, that's what I'm saying. I'm, that's right, what I'm saying. right. The worst psychological mechanisms a person can have. Uh, yeah. And then you know, whereas Clarice is more like, even though she took the lamb and it was too heavy and she couldn't save the lamb. Yeah. Like, she's still like, you know what? I'm going to keep trying to uh, save the lambs. The smart thing about the end of this movie is it understands that you can defeat minor demons, but you can never defeat the devil. Like, Hannibal Lecter is always going to escape. Hannibal Lecter is always going to be out there in the world. But Clarice's approach can work for a time. You can save one woman. You can stop one villain. It's why Lecter is so compelling. Yeah. You're kind of like, oh, yeah, this guy doesn't belong in jail. He's like a caged animal. Like, you're, you yeah. know, you're like, I know. Like, he just has that feeling where you're like, he should be out there, even though that's scary. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you just like the, the idea of him operating at full power is kind of thrilling. 
the scene with the senator is incredible. I mean, aside from the fact that obviously you have like Get the this most iconic thing back to Baltimore, look. but him with the straight jacket, yes. the orange jumpsuit on the stretcher, yeah, and of course yeah, with the mask, the mask, which is just I it. Another thing we're watching this movie for the first time as a fifteen year old, I was like, I, okay, but I've seen like a thousand fucking parodies of the mask. Sure. And parodies of Jim Carrey's The Mask. That's right. Um, no, Somebody's but I've, I've seen so many people wearing the mask as a joke and fucking putting it on a guard pill yeah. card Billy or whatever. Billy Goddamn Crystal. Right. Of course. Yeah. Brought right. it out on the Oscars stage. That I was like, this is going to have no power for me. And the first time they wheel him out, you go, that is fucking terrifying. Yeah. And watching it again last night, there's something about it, like his just wide open, piercing blue eyes and his blank expression underneath and his mouth looking like it's in its own jail cell. The fact that it's like little metal bars in front of his teeth. It's also thing, just a great, he's too bitey. The, yeah. thing, that the, um, the thing that the impersonations <laughs> of it, the thing that the impersonations of it don't get is that his eyes are darting. Just yes. a little his bit. His eyes are incredible. Right. Yeah. That. Right. There's, yeah. He's like looking for an escape, even yes. though he it's knows incredible. there isn't one. And then of course. They will match the senator and he like starts giving the information he wants, but also it's like. He can't help himself. This he's is got, his he's only got joy in life. And this is like. <laughs> he just can't help himself. Anthony Held like sucks. He's basic. There's no fun sure, there, sure, sure, you know? Sure, sure. And then like he hates Anthony all Anthony Held the... is so good in this so movie good. though. Like his whole preening, like he's the best specimen I've got. You know, right. he's like a weird little. Yeah, sorry, carry on. I'm sorry. No, and, and like he hates everyone else like in his like. Like wing, yeah. you know. I mean, the fact that he kills the other guy for throwing the semen on Clarice yes. is just like, please. There's a difference between me and guys like this. Right. He basically Clarice lost Hannibal, but then that, when that happened, Hannibal's right. like, I owe you a solid. Yeah, come over, I'll make dinner. You know, that would be his usual approach. Yeah, right. I'll draw you. Right. Um, yeah, and then it's just like this movie just has like a couple like straight up set pieces. We're like the whole prison. I mean, the whole, not prison. The whole escape escape thing, thing is incredible. Sequence, right? Right. It's just like stunning. That edge set of your is seat. amazing. Yeah, I don't that know what mustache is amazing on that one officer. Yes. It's the craziest. He's got like mustache. the very thin but very long. Like, yeah. It's like a crazy yeah. variation on a Fu Man. Yeah. By the way, Ben's Google. back. Ben's ben. back. Oh, ben yeah. is back. Ben is back. <laughs> Beautiful Ben is back. Uh... <laughs> Should I just throw up some thoughts of stuff earlier that you guys have already talked about? Yeah, here, probably. I'll just read a quick cool. note here. Uh, shady storage units across America. Love that. <laughs> uh, I would not help anyone with a street couch into a van, let alone at night. Sure. Um, I do like that in the scene she has the agency of this is clearly a bad idea, right? <laughs> That they don't yeah. play her as a total naive, like, no. sort of moron. It's like she knows, like, fuck, this is the kind of thing that usually ends up with you being put in a pit, right? right. right. And it's that basic human thing of, like, in the moment you're like, I should give him benefit of the doubt. Sure. Right. 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 And then it's too late. The second, because he just backs her in. and then Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. Um, we didn't talk about the storage locker. That move of Hannibal being like, go visit a friend of mine. Mm, Transfer nice to there. storage locker. Be real chill. Weird old no cowboy hands. man in the rain who's yeah. like, oh, son, could go tomorrow. And she's like sliding under the door. And then that fucking setup of like the the carriage mm-hmm. with the plush interior and the headless mannequin and then the, the head in a jar. How long are we supposed to believe that Hannibal – has been in jail, that he just set up this little display and paid long enough for it to remain in the storage locker. That's a great question. So it's that's been at least 10 years. Yeah. Right? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that's an incredible, what an artist this guy is. Yeah. Good for him. So and like, he's a big picture thinker. It's made storage like unit, like when I drive those, yeah. 
on the highway late at night. Like it's Scary. so creepy. Right. Yeah, they are creepy. There is something yeah. about There's that. There's things now. in those yeah. buildings. Right. It's like true mystery. What were you gonna say, Emily? I just was gonna say, uh eh, fuck, I don't remember. <laughs> I want Amy Taubin, the uh-huh. great Amy Taubin, uh film critic, uh, wrote the Criterion essay. I don't know if you've read it. I've not. Uh, it's worth reading, it's very good. Uh, and she points out, like, that scene, there's flags everywhere. Yeah. Uh, the scene, obviously, in the um, prison, the, the escape prison, the weird cell. I don't mm-hmm. know. How do you describe it? The weird cell in a gymnasium yeah. thing. It has the weird American flag, like, yes. and, like, when it Hannibal looks like the grand old Again, yeah. makes a weird little display for everyone of yeah. Charles Napier hanging with his skin ripped, right? Yeah. Like, you know, right. Hannibal could have just gotten out of there, but he's like, no, no. There needs to be some pomp and circumstance. Because he needs people to respect him. Like, he needs that, people to recognize that he's a genius. Yes, exactly. And an artist. It's like, she's like, all these tattered flags, all these relics of America. Like, this is all very intentional. Yeah, um, yeah. The, I really uh, I advise you to read it. It's really good. I'll read it. Yeah. Uh, the TV show went a little, like, it did great stuff with, like, the death tableaus. Yes. But, like, what I like about this movie is that you can sort of, you can bend your brain in a way where you're like, okay, yeah, I get like how he did this, even though he had like 10 minutes to like strip sure. that guy up from the ceiling. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it is like, it's a pretty, like even knowing where it goes, it is such a beautifully constructed extended set piece Yeah, from like, I mean, they've set up the, the pen like 15, 20 minutes earlier. Mm-hmm. So you see him look at it. Then a full scene later, you see Anthony Held not be able to find his pen. Yeah. And then they sit on it for like another 10 minutes before he takes the thing out of his mouth. Yeah. It's after he's had the whole Clarice conversation, after he's been transferred, then he takes it out. And then it's just like, how is he fucking going to get out of this? Then to switch over to the SWAT guy perspective. That's what I love. That's the beauty. That that takes a while. Like you really stick with those guys. One of them is an actor I know. Who is it? It's Chris Isaac. It's Christina Van Bargen. There's someone else in there whose face I recognize. Yeah. I can't remember. The thing but. I love about Demi is he lets things breathe. Yes. And yes. I feel like right. so many other movies like this would just be like, bang, bang, bang. Here's totally. some face 100%. biting. Right. And like, this is, it takes its time. The it's, tension of the elevator thing, of all of them realizing like, oh, fuck, guns out, call the battalion, seeing it stop on three. Right. And then going like, wait, what the fuck is going on? Right. I also like um, that you don't see him, you know, rip the guy's skin off. Yeah. Uh, just the shot of him taking the like the skin mask off is enough for you to process like, oh, he did all of that. Oh, that's so, you know, like that's all right. you need. Like your brain does all the work for but you. But it's such a fine balance of like, and and that the body on top that he switched the clothes that they think that that's what's going on. Yeah, that he's yeah of course. Ble- right, right, like right, all right, the sort right. of misdirection stuff. But they also, think he did some regular escape stuff. Right. Not some skin removal, new face escape right. stuff. But he also basically is putting Buffalo Bill to shame. He like jury rigged a, a human face yeah. in like five seconds. When I was talking about how this show is television now, like the, the X-Files rips off this yeah. this movie's uh, visual palette. And then every show on CBS rips off the X-Files. So like yeah. that's why now we live in Silence of the Lambs world. Yeah. Right? Like right. the thing about television now is it's so graphic and you see so much yes. of the violence. Yes. I'm like, that's fine, whatever. But, but, but CSI and yeah. Criminal Minds and SVU and all these shows don't Let's exist zoom into the wound. Right. And even like X-Files, a show I love, did a lot of that. And this movie, I always forget how non-gory it is. That's yes. what I was going to yeah. say. Yeah. It's crazy because he doesn't sanitize it. Like he deals no. with it with I mean, the proper weight of like these are horrific things happening mm-hmm. and you can't sugarcoat them. But it is a rare movie of this ilk 
that does not kind of glamorize and ask you to get some perverse thrill from like how fucked up it is. One of the most horrifying shots in the movie is when he grabs the guy and you have that shot of Hannibal like yeah. biting the camera essentially and yeah. then you see him kind of like biting the guy. Right. But in another movie such as Red Dragon, yeah. he would then like tear away and like blow away some chunk of flesh. And right? the guy's face would be so fucked up. Exactly. And when they cut back to the guy, he's got he has like a bite wound. Um, yeah, he's got a right. bite wound. He's yeah. got one it's, small it's bite. A wound. little. It's a little less. I mean, it's the classic horror thing. It's like your mind is what much more fucked. What's up. scary about it is you don't understand it. It's, it's just yes, like this exactly. is not normal human interaction. And like that's also right. Charles Napier is just watching it, being like, Jesus Christ! Right. Like, but even also, the way he strikes the physicality. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's oh, yeah. not well, like also a big right. That's boy. But also, he's like dead. Hulk. Like yeah. he, he just goes into total robot mode yes. when he's doing the um, repeated, um, you know, coshing. The it's look the, on his face. Yeah, the banality yes, of okay. evil thing. Like as much as he then likes to like put it in a nice package and like put on a show for them. Right. It is the fact that like, you know, you watch something like Mindhunter and it makes it a lot more glamorous than it actually is. I fucking love Mindhunter. I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm great not saying show. that in a negative way. Great show. I'm just really saying it's a, it's a different approach. Yeah. Because one of the things that this movie does is kind of at times feel like a documentary. I actually think mm. that Mindhunter is like kind of breaking the Silence of the Lambs thing because it is deliberately saying we don't show stuff. Yeah, right. We don't you show don't stuff see the murders. at all. Right. Sure, sure. That is the show that, that realizes it's that just the psychology. what was scary about Silence of the Lambs was that conversation right. is terrifying. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Conversation is terrifying. Being in the call. room with a person like this is terrifying. Yeah. And also Mindhunter, I think, is just about like me reading a Wikipedia entry late at night of some serial killer. And like you're just sort of like slowly reading it and you're like, like that's it. Why am I interested in this? Right. Why do I want to know more? Yeah. And why am I suddenly like so frightened, even though I'm only reading a thing? Right. Uh, uh, just it, so that weird fascination we have with like, I want to understand why a person would do this or what they did. It like, is it is so beautiful that Clarice ends up being the one to catch him because uh, she is trying to just finish off all the loose ends. And the fucking fake out. Yeah. The thing that should not work. Every time I watch I know, it, it works. So and I'm just good. like, everybody's ripped it off. Once yeah. you once you know what's happening, you're like, that's not going to, it yeah. gets me every time. Yeah, every like, single yeah. time. Yes. And then it, one of the greatest action sequences of all time is is the night vision sequence. Yeah, even though it's very brief. Like you think of it as this very long, tense thing. Yeah. It's not that long because the je- the concept is so terrifying. So terrifying. The second he turns on the night vision yeah. and he, and Demi switches to his perspective, which we've never been in before. Yes. Really. Right. I mean, I guess I guess a, a little bit looking her. down at the oblique. But, you know, like it's sort of like a jarring switch. I also love that thing where, where you're like, well, I thought I was with my hero. Now I'm watching my poor hero be like stalked in the night. And the questioning is great leading up to it. The moment where Buffalo Bill realizes that she might catch him and he like stifles a laugh. Yeah. Like a really sad yeah, laugh. Yeah, their interaction like, is really interesting. Right. Then yeah. goes for the gun, and then she goes down to the basement, and you have that amazing Brooke Smith scene mm-hmm. of her being like, don't worry, I've saved you. And her just being like, fuck you. Say, get me out of here now. And she's A-S-A-P. Like, yeah. No, I got to catch the guy first. And she's like, fuck you. Eat shit. <laughs> like, she's like, there's no, like, you oh, my God. bitch. Yeah. Get me right. out of here. She every bad like, oh, name. thank you. There's God. none of that. Of course. I love, because- I love that a female cop is rescuing right. me. That feels great. Like, but she, she's you like, know. you don't get this fucking guy. He's gonna, you're gonna join me in this pit in five seconds. Yeah, yeah. get me now. And of course, s- there's that we forgot. There's the whole sequence where she lures the dog down, which is you know, yeah, it's great. Being that's very the thing innovative. Is, yeah. Everybody in this movie gets to be smart. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Even Buffalo yeah, Bill yeah. gets to be smart, and mm-hmm. it's just like that makes it so much better. Yes, yeah. 100%. Doesn't yeah. the sequence, because we know the space kind of, of what he lives in, mm-hmm. what the basement is like, but when you're actually exploring it and the perspective of the handheld shots, yeah. it is the moths flying yeah. around All ministry, yeah. playing in the background. I love that moth sequence. Ooh, That's yeah. another classic Demi. Like, let me, I want to look at these guys' faces for a second. I want to understand these people beyond just like exposition dump yeah. people. Right. It's like when you'd go to your grandparents' house Dude, and you'd they go in the basement, they the they'd have a bunch of weird shit and they'd be like, don't get too close to the pit. You'll fall into the pit. Like, <laughs> right. yeah. I mean. And the fact that it's someone else's weird house that he took over and yeah. put like half of his shit into it, but it's also like half stuff he just hasn't gotten rid of. Yeah, and it's like, like you see, yeah, the elements are like there's a map of the U.S. and it's like there's no, it's just somebody else hung that right, up. Right, that's there. another like, life yeah. that we we don't get any part of. Right, um, some of the house I feel like are some of the design, and I might be wrong. It's mm. Gein. Is the there is a like Gein. Yes. they kind of did a little yeah. bit of like touch to, to yeah. Buffalo yeah. Bill with yeah. incorporating that real Buffalo serial Bill killer. is like Ted Bundy and Ed Gein or so, like it's some weird Kinda, combo of those yeah, things. Like yeah. the, he has the Ted Bundy like luring the lady with the cast and all that. But, but it is nice yeah. that like Clarice solves it independently. Yes. Calls Glenn and he's like, we figured it out, but like, good job. Right, right. right. Now just like finish it up, you know, do the follow up interview. Right. But she goes in having accomplished everything on her own. So she is fully loaded to be able to handle the situation. Right. She's Herbie. Hypothetically. Right. And then it's just some of the most She's terrifying Herbie. shit in the history of cinema. She's Herbie. She's, I'm sorry, what? She's Herbie. She's fully loaded. Oh, she's fully loaded. Some of the most horrifying shit in the I'm history so of cinema. I'm so proud of that joke. I just I needed just... to get it out. Yeah, congratulations. It is just like the the level of like restraint and sort of like the precision of the timing and the blocking on the Bill's POV through the night vision goggles, reaching out to her face, constantly almost touching her, but missing and Foster just is like killing that scene. Right. I mean, playing the complete as I I don't know how they actually shot that. Yeah. No. I don't could, know yeah. what she could or couldn't see. Right. But she is perfectly playing someone who does not think that the killer is that close to her, mm-hmm. but understands that she is at immediate risk. His hands are out and he's <sighs> coveting. I know. I mean, Buffalo Bill's kind of a turf if you think about it. A hundred percent. You get your happy ending. She says. Oh, saves. then of course I'm having a friend for dinner. Right. I mean, then there's a uh, great, great closing line. Totally. Uh, pretty good. Yeah. I feel like Hannibal thought of that like six <laughs> years ago. He was like, man, if I ever get out and I get to do an ominous phone call, I'll say that. But that is the thing that doomed. Hannibal Lecter wrote this movie. Yes. Yeah. It is the thing that doomed the public into thinking they wanted to see five more Hannibal movies. That's true. Because the ending is such a tee up, but it's a tee up for a thing you actually don't want to see him follow through on. That story doesn't really matter. Not really. You don't want to see him eat Anthony Held. That well, long walk away. You don't want to see them like like hit on the weird romantic undertones. You don't want to see Dr. any Lecter. of that stuff. Dr. Lecter. Yeah. Yeah. That long walk away to me is always just like I take it as because he disappears into the crowd. Yeah. It's just like there are monsters among that, us. Yes, yeah. exactly. Right. It's so effective. The fact that he never fades to black, the fact that it just oh, stays on and yeah. on and on and on. Yeah. And it's just like somewhere now Hannibal Lecter is existing outside of this frame. Yes. Getting ready to chow got, down and on And he's people. got a jaunty little Baham- Bahamian hat. And his wig. And a wig. He's got like long and hair And sunglasses. Now. Yeah. So I feel like out. Hopkins put that costume on. I was like, yeah. I'm doing this. This yeah. is this is me for the this next is my 30 look. years. Yeah. This is my look. Um, That's like his Twitter account now. It's just him. <laughs> what a his guy. Twitter account is incredible. Um, okay, box office game? Let's do it. 
February 14th, 1991. Mm-hmm. I just want to say this is the era when I was paying a lot of attention to the box office. So I might Let's follow. see how we okay. do. Yeah. Um, this film premiered at the Berlin Film Festival where it won Best Director and then came into theaters. Mm-hmm. February, it opens number one, 13 million. Mm-hmm. A pretty strong opening adjusted for inflation. That would be 30. Wow. You know, so like a good opening. It's President's Day weekend, so it's a four-day weekend. And the domestic total is 113? 130. 130. Which adjusted is 279. It was a huge hit. And worldwide, I think it was 279. Like it also 272 worldwide. Crazy well overseas. 100%. Yeah. It's just, just a, a big old hit. Colossal fucking hit. Okay, so number one, 13 Silence of the Lambs. Number two. Number two is a, it was number one the previous week when it came out. Uh was a huge hit of the year that I feel like is now forgotten. And it was ben like shrugging. big movie star going ben serious. I have no idea what it is. It's a big mm. movie star, but he, but he had not gone serious before. She. She. Had not gone serious before. I mean, I mean, not not in a leading role. She was, was seen it, as more of a comedy actress. I feel like, and this is her being like is this an Oscar. I can be player? in a thriller. No, okay, okay. She was seen as a comedy actress, and now she's going to be in a thriller. And it's oh, not, you know what? It's not Whoopi. No, I didn't. Re- I didn't realize this movie was serious. But is it Bird on a Wire? It is not. Oh, fuck. But is it Goldie? No. Huh. But is it someone of a Goldie ilk? Is it that kind of comedy actress? I mean, in terms of that she'd been in r- r- some rom-coms, yes. Is it Meg Ryan? No. Is it Julia? Julia Roberts? Sleeping with the Enemy? Correct. Final total go. on Sleeping with the Enemy, please. Uh, 90? 101. Wow. Huge hit. Wow. A movie really forgotten. Like, yeah. you know, people do not remember Sleeping with I the Enemy. I genuinely thought that came out later that year. Eight, okay. Eighth biggest film of the year. Wow. Um... Huge hit. Yeah, huge. Time for a Sleeping with the Enemy remake. Uh, and, you know, the other, yeah. yeah the, yes, there. It's yeah. going to be on if, Queeby, I'm sure. Um, can only watch it at night. Like the other wait. big hits of the year, Terminator 2, Robin yeah. Hood, right. Beauty and the Beast, Sounds of the Lambs, City Slickers, Hook, The Addams Family. <laughs> Weird. Right? But, like, all of those movies have at least some cultural tale, right? Mm-hmm. Right. This is a Sleeping this with is the a Enemy year. is the number eight, and it's sort of like, oh. Okay, yeah, I guess I remember that that you, movie existed. You talk about, like, things being cyclical and culture always being this way. This is a perfect example of a year where, like, almost everything is some sort of reboot or sequel or adaptation. Or adaptation. Yeah. Right. Because then you have Father of the Bride, Naked Gun, two yeah. and a half. Like, you know, the big hits of the year. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Right. God, I saw all these fucking Kate movies. Fear, which is a remake. Yeah. You know, even, right. like, that's like a hoity-toity remake. Right. Star Trek 6. Right. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, the Prince of Tides, which, of course, was based on a DC comic. <laughs> I it was right. based on Sega Genesis. <laughs> yeah. It's actually weirdly an adaptation of Golden Axe. Just no one ever talks about that. It's based on the trading card series by Tops. Now, number three. Okay. Is a new entry this week. Mm. It is a film we have long discussed doing on this podcast. Ben is, is it King Ralph? <laughs> it is King Ralph. Ben was pumping his fist. I knew it what had to if? be Ralph. John a big Goodman was God. the king of England. Yeah. I, was, I was literally going to make a King Ralph reference earlier in this podcast. Should've I was like, I it. don't want to take that from Ben. I was no. like, that's King Ralph. <sighs> it's such you're a good th- movie. Now, now, these days, here's the it's thing. my aesthetic because I don't like snooty people. You hate them. Uh-oh. 
Yeah, I don't like them. I don't like aristocrats. I don't like people who are bullies because you know you're not as smart as them. Right. King Ralph. King Ralph's here he to goes make in there right. and he's like, I like rock and roll yeah. and I like sandwiches and y'all are weird. You like uh, big guys named Ralph. That's yeah, your favorite that's movie. That's true. Genre. That's true. Uh, ben, yeah. uh, Queeb- Queeby's calling me right now. They want to know if you want to be King Ralph in the King Ralph series. As long as it's a documentary and I go and I kick the queen out of her chair. Get out of here. Um, Here's the thing I want to say about King Ralph's poster. Mm -hmm. A lot of things I love. Okay. One, the billing. John Goodman, Peter O'Toole. (laughs) Great billing. Yes. (laughs) But O'Toole made it to the the poster, but he has to be below. It's only two, though. Right. Two. It's a classic double tagline. Uh-huh. One tagline explaining and two is a proper tagline. Okay. You know what I mean? Where it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. this, where they're like, this is too complicated. We need a right. tagline that explains. Those taglines are like, two weeks ago, so, John Lawrence was a normal lawyer. Exactly. So the regular tagline yeah. is the tagline you'd expect. A comedy of majestic proportions. <laughs> Not a good tagline, but at least like, yeah, okay. Um, it's like a cute me. comedy. Wash your fucking mouth. It's a great tagline. Very good. Proportions. Here's the, but now here's the top tagline. Okay. Not so funny. Here it is. Yeah. A great tragedy has befallen <laughs> the royal family, leaving what, only one heir to the throne. Not so funny. You I'm not laughing. You don't think it's a smart business practice <laughs> to sell your comedy by saying a great tragedy? But no, so here, if you're following, as I believe these poster people sort of figure out, like how your eyes would move sure. across. Yeah. So you're first you're like Goodman and O'Toole. You're like, mm-hmm. huh. Then great tragedy. You're like, uh-oh. But then your eye scans across. Now here's the queen's crown. Yeah. But it's atop the head of Goodman. <laughs> and he's wearing a shirt that says, and I quote, Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it has a couple of dice on it. I hate, I hate, I hate what I'm about to do. But David, mm-hmm. you seemed kind of broken up about the thought of the royal family dying. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> What's up with that? Yeah, you seem weirdly invested in a thing Tra- just because you've seen a it in a movie. tragedy has befallen the royal family. <gasps> like what if I had like a sort of. But I mean, David, come An on. Inadvertent gas. This is true. It would be sad. We'd be yeah, sad. We'd be yeah. sad. Oh, look, we all wow, would be sad. you can get it real big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I look, grew up in David- the <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna draw it out. You mean longer, I but... don't? Didn't want you to. Okay, number four at the number box four. office. Uh, numbers four and five at the box office are two of the giant hits of 1990. Okay, one won Best Picture, and oh. one I think was probably the biggest movie of 1990. Got to be Dances with Wolves and Home Alone. That's correct. There we go. In that order? Uh, no, Home Alone then Dances okay. with Wolves, uh, which are respectively 14 and 15 weeks into their runs. Home Alone. Can you tell me the final total? The final total of Home Alone was 220? 285. That makes no sense. How Which adjusted for inflation yeah. is 600 million dollars. It's a lot of money. It's it's Infinity War. Yeah, right. Right. You know, adjusted for inflation, Home Alone. What if the Wet Bandits were in the new Avengers? Disney movie? owns that movie now. Kevin <laughs> Feige, back. Kevin Feige should make he should. it. He should Marvel. get Pesci. Pesci's back. Clearly loves working all the time. Definitely isn't uh, well, like mean, baffled by questions such as like, what's it like to not have been in a movie for 10 years? I was going to say, the only thing he loves more than being in movies again is talking about those movies. Uh, it, they're, they're Disney plusing Home Alone. They they're, are. They're That's bringing it true. back. And they are Disney, yeah. Disney plusing eight heads in a duffel bag. Uh, yeah, some of the other movies. No, you're David. I'm sorry. That's going on uh, Pesci plus. <laughs> Pesci plus. Gone fishing again. Nine heads in a duffel bag. 
my aunt. Video? I don't know. Oh, shit. I, I could have. I could have had a third good dumb. My Pesci aunt Sheila. Sequel. My hey. aunt Sheila. Hey, it's another Pesci movie. My aunt Vinny is transculture. Yeah. Please don't yeah. joke. That's Maybe yeah. that's what Pesci wants to go that for. That is true. Pesci plus. Uh. Pesci's the only cis man still allowed to play a trans woman. I have to create it. You'll I speak it? for the community. Just because yeah. it's like, well, Pesci's in a movie. Let's just give him some room. <laughs> right. Just so rarely works. You're like whatever it takes. We um, got to get him back up on that screen. Some other big movies. Okay. You got a LA story. You got never ending story too. So mm-hmm. two stories. Uh, LA story is a good movie. Uh, yeah. I've never seen it. Yeah. Very good. Movie. Uh, you have nothing but trouble opening this week. Mm. Uh, the, uh, you know, uh, much Chevy Chase, Dan, Dan Aykroyd, bomb. Yeah, yeah. You have White Fang, which I remember watching on video as a kid and being kind of freaked out by. Yeah. And uh, Awakenings, another Oscar holdover. Yes, yeah. a weird film. Yeah. Uh, Emily, thank <laughs> you for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having uh, me. You're the best uh, in the biz. Uh, primetime? Primetime, we're, uh, I can't say right now, uh, we're working on, okay. we have a season two we're pitching okay. out to get sponsors and stuff. Um, and so there is a season two in the works. You cannot say what it is or I, when it will be coming out. My hope f- is that I will be able to say what it is when this episode drops, and I'll do that on Twitter at TVOTI. Great. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, one of the best follows uh, on the internet. And also, this is a great place to plug that uh, I think you're interesting is coming back as a series exclusively just, made up of Jay Leno. Just talking to Jay Leno. Right. Um, no, I also have a book about the X-Files, a show that I talked about Monster earlier. Monster of the Week. Monsters of the Week, the complete critical companion to the X-Files. Uh, and the real reason I'm here, uh, my uh, scripted show, Arden, is started season two, December 30th. We hope. We haven't recorded anything yet, and this is early October. So, okay. but, but, yeah. Podcast. Yeah, but it's it's a podcast. Uh, Arden. Yeah. Arden, uh, it was uh, in season two right now, so please go listen to that. Check it out. True Great crime, stuff. fun. Uh, best in the best. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. You're talking about yourself, True. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the divine producer, Am. You won several... Uh, Potty Awards, right? For Best Podcaster? Um, I'd rather not talk about this. <laughs> I, I made the mistake of campaigning as supporting. It's like a... <laughs> but if if we missed anything, listeners... Sure. It's that time of year. We need some ratings, some reviews. Oh! So, Wano, instead of tweeting at us, or, or and, uh, but of course you could still do it if you prefer. Oh, but the as weather a fun outside is bit, frightening. Perhaps maybe leaving rating a little rating exciting. of what we missed. Can I make and one? Of course, last, give us five stars. Can I yeah. make one last pitch to the listeners, please? I know March Madness is coming up. This mm-hmm. is where this is coming out in January. Yeah, I know you guys are thinking about what that lineup is. I don't know what's going to be in it. My wife Libby Hill. Uh, TV awards editor, IndieWire, mm-hmm. has made it a goal of her life to be on every movie podcast talking about Bicentennial Man. And, uh, so Columbus wins. He was in our bracket vote, last year. Please vote Chris Columbus listeners. I want to make my life's wife hell because she will have to watch Bicentennial Man dozens of times. Well, one of the most unpleasant movies to watch. Yeah. Truly. Just a, just one of those one of those movies where like your eye just kind of slips <laughs> off the screen where you're like, this is still going on. But also you constantly feel like there are ants crawling on your skin. <laughs> like somehow watching it makes you feel like physically like jittery. So if you want my wife Libby Hill to be I, on this I, podcast yes. I mean, to course. talk to just be like, Griffin, why are you talking about this right now? I want that more than anything. Vote Columbus. Bicentennial man, baby. Uh next week. Philadelphia. That's right. We're we're it's we're heading we're heading to the 
I don't know. Whatever. Thank you all for listening. <laughs> Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. I was going to try to say something funny, and my brain just fizzled out. It happens. Thanks, Andrew, for good for our social media. Lay Montgomery for our theme song. Joe Bon Pat Rounds for our artwork. Go to blankies.red.com for some real Say something shit. about like a cheesesteak. I was thinking, but I couldn't yeah. put the math together yeah. fast okay. enough. I'm, I'm, I'm no good while hunting. Uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, go to uh, the buy shirts and Patreon. Uh, I th- around this time, uh, maybe right right before, right after this, we'll be releasing our official uh, performance review of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Wow. Not since the Star Wars days. Gethard is coming on with us, and we're going to review every credited character <laughs> in Endgame. And I'm sure talk about Kit Fisto. Probably a time. Um, so, uh, yeah, check that out. Uh, and, uh, as, as always, uh, Jay, Jay Leno slides into DMs like Giffy. Uh, can I do something very unexpected? Yeah, sure. A little merchandise spotlight? Sure. Sure. Go ahead. Okay. So in the late 1990s, Todd McFarlane, he of the comic books, first Marvel yeah, but then and eventually then creates Image Bond, Comics, yes. Founds Image, right. becomes Weirdly, creator. like, owns the Edmonton Oilers, maybe, or something like that. Huge fan of hockey. Also, at one point in time, owned both uh, Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire's uh, record-breaking home run balls. Weird. He bought the balls. Yeah. Um, he lost them. He had to sell them because he named a, uh, a pedophile mobster character in a Spawn comic after a hockey player. Because he's such a big hockey fan. He was like, oh, fun Easter egg. And then the guy sued him for defamation. <laughs> and he had to pay the guy like tens of millions of dollars. So he had to sell his baseballs. Um, Carry on. Was very obsessed with Todd McFarlane as a young man. Largely because at the peak of Spawn's uh, like cultural relevance, all the toy companies wanted to get the rights to Spawn. Mm-hmm. And he was like, fuck you. You guys suck. I'm starting my own toy company. Yes. And everyone was like, this is stupid. You're going to fail. And Didn't it succeeded wildly. Yes. And the Spawn toys sold really well, but the thing that pushed him over the edge was he started a line called Movie Maniacs mm-hmm. that was, what if you took all the interesting characters in adult films who toy companies have been afraid to touch, mm-hmm. but also who are the only visually interesting character in a movie? Mm-hmm. So you couldn't make an entire toy line off of that movie, but you can put them all in as a grab bag. Okay. So he did a series that was like Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, Leatherface. Sure. Uh, when uh, Michael Myers, I think, was maybe in the first batch. Whatever. Uh, that then became one of the 10 greatest selling toy lines of the year, along with, like, Hot Wheels and Barbie and shit. Yes. So immediately people were like, Hannibal. Hannibal. Right. And for years and years, everyone was trying to get Hannibal, and uh, no one could because Hopkins was like, I don't want to be a toy. Like, Hopkins was, like, always uh, shutting it down. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, 10-plus years of wind-up until someone was able to make uh, not McFarlane, but people who had left McFarlane and started their own company. Two Hannibal Lecter figures, one on the stretcher, one which is really unsettling mm-hmm. of Hannibal with the the mm-hmm. um, Billy Club uh, being able to attack the guy, uh, being able to attack the guy, Jesus Christ. But the thing I want to show you folks. This is that one. That's that one. Yep. It uh, comes with the little cell. The thing I want to show you folks that I find very funny is the series of mini-mates, which are Lego-esque figures. <laughs> Of the Sons of the Lambs crew. Hannibal Lecter got to get a Funko Pop. I mean, you talk about the iconography. I think Matt Mickelson does. Matt Mickelson does. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. Um, But these are the uh, Sons of the Lambs 
Oh, wow. Yeah, so there's Clarice. Okay. It does speak to how sort of iconic every character in the movie is that they can be recognized even in this form. Here's Buffalo Bill holding a moth with a painted-on nipple ring. And then uh, uh, Hannibal. These are bizarre. I don't like so these. So there's that. Hannibal looks a lot like Nixon. It does. He does look like Nixon. David. Yeah, he it looks, looks like, like your best friend. I would <laughs> like to add to the merchandise spotlight. There is now a okay. Hannibal. It's him on the gurney oh. with the mask. Yeah, makes sense. I've always wanted Buffalo Bill's necklace. If everyone knows where I could get that necklace, I think it looks cool. That's it. Great. 